Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast this is the next generation of talk now on talk radio 1210 WPHT Rich Zioli I told you you'd hear a lot about Russia I told you Russia 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 you're gonna hear more and more about it Oh, Putin, Trump, Putin, Putin, Trump, Russia collusion, Russia, Russia's behind Putin. I mean, Russia's behind Trump, and Putin's behind Trump. And you're going to hear this over and over from now until the election. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today, 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. A lot going on today. You know, the guy who was that uh, confidential human source for the FBI, This guy is now being labeled a Russian informant, part of the Russian intelligence and proof of Russian collusion. And obviously now he's uh, clearly a Russian agent designed to make Joe Biden look bad, even as Vladimir Putin says he'd be happier with Joe Biden as president, because obviously Joe Biden is all in on the war in Ukraine. And that makes Putin rich as it makes Ukraine rich as well, even though there's no chance Ukraine can win. We're living in very strange times here, and you got to really dig deep to get to the truth. You have to go behind the layers because there's so much happening. And I'm excited because I'm in D.C. right now, and we'll be at CPAC tomorrow and Friday on Radio Row. We couldn't be there today. Today's setup day, so the good people over at WMAL in Washington were letting me use their studio for the day. But uh, you have to really, really peel back the layers here to get to the truth of everything that's happening. Because if you if you understand that how it's possible that Zelensky and Ukraine could be making money and Putin and Russia are making money at the same time this war is going on, you could understand why a lot of people, myself included, are very, very skeptical and don't understand why we're still funding this. And again, today, Biden used the death of Putin's big critic, Navalny, to call for more aid to Ukraine. And you just got to wonder to yourself. What what benefit does Putin have killing the guy? He's in prison. 
Now the guy's dead, and now everybody's calling for more aid to Ukraine. And all the allies and the world and everybody else, I mean, the guy was in prison. What What is killing him? How does killing him serve Putin's interest? You just got to wonder these things. That's all I'm saying. You just have to wonder. Because if you don't wonder, then you you can be very, very quickly surprised when all of a sudden there's more money going to Ukraine because this guy died in prison. And you say to yourself, why are my tax dollars going over there? What does this have to do with me? Well, it shouldn't have anything to do with you except the fact that we never let a good crisis go to waste. But what if we manufactured the crisis? I'm not saying we did. I'm just saying, how do we know we didn't? We don't know anything. That's the problem. We don't know anything other than the fact that uh, Ukraine cannot win this war. It can't win. It can no longer win. And that is a piece that came out today, which I thought was an excellent piece by Joe Buccino, writing this over at Real Clear Defense. And he makes the point that in reality now, this is a brutal slog. There's no path to victory. Russia has the momentum. And two years in, there really is no path of victory for Ukraine. Not in the sense of pushing Russian troops back to the pre-February 2022 lines of control. Now, why is this relevant? It's relevant because we have a presidential election going on. There are three candidates left. Three, I shouldn't say only three. There, there's four. I mean, if you count RFK Jr. Uh, of those candidates, two of them are all in on the war in Ukraine and two are not. So the two that are in are Joe Biden and Nikki Haley. The two that are not are Donald Trump and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, the people who are going to... Trump's going to be the nominee. I, I don't doubt that. Trump's going to be the nominee on the Republican side. The Democrat side remains to be seen. It won't be Robert F. Kennedy Jr. They will never let him get the nomination. And he's not running as a Democrat anyway. But it'll be a, another Democrat just besides Joe Biden. But everything that we're talking about in Washington right now is not securing the border. It's not dealing with the crisis at the border where today I think they said 20,000 Chinese migrants illegally crossed into the southern border, 20,000. It's not that. It's Ukraine funding. First and foremost, it's that. Zelensky is sitting down with Brett Baer and Fox News to have a little chat. There's rumors that there's going to be another big congressional address by Zelensky coming up. All of these things that are happening at the very same time, we are watching Nikki Haley refuse to surrender to Donald Trump, even though this primary is over and Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And I was listening to a a Pentagon spokesperson, State Department spokesperson, some spokesperson was on this morning with Dana Perino. And Dana did a great job of questioning her on a number of different things. And Dana asked her this question. She said, why doesn't the president just come out and give a big national address explaining the reasons why America should back the war in Ukraine? Wouldn't that be helpful to you? And she didn't really answer the question. She just kind of dodged it. She said, oh, Biden's been very, very, very uh, forceful on his positions here. And Dana said, no, he hasn't. He just says comments here and there as he's boarding the helicopter. He doesn't really he hasn't really explained anything. Congress hasn't voted on a resolution of any kind. And then the woman went on to say, you have to remember something. This Ukraine funding, this money is going for American jobs. These are the defense contractors who make the this in this state and the people that make the tanks in Michigan, the people who make the bullets in Pennsylvania. Like she started naming all the swing states, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, starts naming all these states. And I thought, wow, that's interesting that she said all these states and what they produce and what we're actually buying here, what we're paying for. But it's a good reminder of the military-industrial complex and how 
they want this to continue because, yeah, we're not just writing a check that's going directly to the Bank of Ukraine, although some of that money is. A lot of that money is going to the American defense industry, who is then using that money for the purposes of sending armaments over to Ukraine, armaments that come from the United States, helicopters, drones, mines, bullets, anti-tank missiles, all these other things. But it's a reminder of how the swamp wants this to continue, because if it continues, then people will continue making money here in the United States of America. I mean, don't be fooled. I mean, this this is in in many ways an American jobs bill here. It's just an American jobs bill under the guise of doing everything to help our ally Ukraine, even though Ukraine is exhausted and outnumbered, struggling to recruit new troops. And as they point out, the best Ukraine can do now is fight Russia to a negotiated settlement that allows some sort of sovereignty, maybe some territorial integrity, maybe security from another Russian invasion. But even that now seems unrealistic. And yet, in the midst of all this, Putin is triumphant as he continues to serve as the world's gas station. And that was the other question that Perino had for this woman this morning. Why is Biden cutting off liquid natural gas exports at a time when our allies are saying we don't want to buy from Vladimir Putin? And she said, no, 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 we, energy independence is first and foremost for this administration. You know, we have been supplying liquid natural gas to our allies so they don't have to buy from Vladimir Putin. And Dana said, whoa, 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 wait a second here. That's not true. Just last week or a week before, whatever it was, Biden announced no more permits for liquid natural gas exports. So what are you talking about? But this is an administration that is is fine with Russia making money. They're, they're okay with it. You know, if you peel back the layers of this, you realize... Russia's making money, Iran's making money, Ukraine's making money, everybody's making money under Joe Biden right now. The world seems to be on fire, and yet as this is happening, more of our taxpayer dollars are being asked to go to fund this, even though there's no chance Ukraine wins, but it's not about winning. It's about making sure that the swamp, the defense industrial complex, gets to eat and gets to use that money for the bullets in Pennsylvania and the tanks in Michigan and the rockets that are built in North Carolina and the whatever name your swing state where a defense contractor has a plant and makes this stuff, which they then ship overseas. It's not that complicated to see here. It really isn't. Meanwhile, though, the voters have grown very weary of supporting all this. And that's why there is not going to be a congressional vote on this. It's why there's not going to be an authorization by Congress to support Ukraine, whatever it takes. And yet Nikki Haley is dying on this hill. I played you the clip yesterday of Nikki Haley talking about, we have to continue to be in the fight for Ukraine. She's dying on this hill. And if anybody says that you think this is a waste of money, then you're pro-Putin, you want to see Ukraine lose, you want to see Putin win, you want to see Putin conquer the world, you want to ride the beautiful escalators in Stalin Station... You want to take in all their markets like Tucker Carlson. You're just that person. So you can't even have a legitimate conversation or debate about it because everybody will turn around and go, ah, you're just a Putin plant. You see, it's the Putin wing of the party again. And this is where we are. Donald Trump and any Republican who does not want to see massive amounts of United States money go overseas to continuously fund this. I don't even know if you call it a war anymore in Ukraine is immediately labeled as the Putin party, the Putin wing of the Republican Party, by the very same people that are all in on war. I mean, they're all in on this stuff. 
You know, Liz Cheney, I found it adorable the other day when Liz Cheney said, the Putin wing of the party. Trump's Putin wing. I mean, Liz Cheney, do you think if Liz Cheney were president, we'd be pulling out of Ukraine anytime soon? No, 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 no. We'd probably go more in, if anything else. We'd probably go even further into Ukraine to help them if she were president. I have no doubts about that. We're going to start sending them F-16 fighter jets. Remember when, when uh, Biden said we're not going to give them tanks because tanks would mean World War III, and then we weren't going to give them planes? Now we're sending them F-16 fighter jets in addition to everything else. But even that's not going to turn the tide here. Even that's not going to do it. It's not going to change things. And yet here we are. It's almost as if you are behind the looking glass or through the looking glass or whatever the expression is, but you turn around and you say to yourself, I don't understand. Why can't we just have this debate about whether or not Ukraine can actually win? And the reason then goes back to protecting Joe Biden. See, the very same people that are benefiting from this war want Joe Biden to stay in power. They don't want Donald Trump to get in power. I mean, they're fine if Biden's out. Like if they replace Biden with somebody else, they're okay with that. But otherwise, they're going to make sure that Biden stays in because they need to make sure that the Ukraine war keeps going because they're all getting rich off this thing. And that's why suddenly now the confidential human source has now been labeled a Russian operative. And the case against Biden that's being made by Jim Jordan and James Comer, now the media is mocking it. The corporate media is doing their thing and mocking it as, oh, you see, this guy was a Russian the whole time. He was Russian. You see, told you so. He was Russian and the Russians are in on it. And this whole thing is a scam and Biden's not corrupt. It's just more Russian propaganda. Where did we hear this from? Where did we hear this last time? Do you remember? Oh, right. The Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. You remember that? The DOJ wants us to believe that a guy who had been an FBI informant for over a decade, who they described as credible until the time that he accused the Bidens of taking bribes from Ukraine and then is arrested all of a sudden, is now part of Russian intelligence. See, suddenly the Justice Department now in a new filing has said that the confidential human source who allegedly lied to the FBI about Hunter Biden was in contact with Russian intelligence. This guy was a confidential human source for the FBI for 10 years. Isn't it convenient that all this comes out now? Isn't it convenient that this comes out at this moment in time? So they can discredit the entire thing. And I've got lots of clips for you, lots of audio clips. I mean, there was one exchange today on CNN with Gloria Berger, Gloria Borger. And she's going on about this whole thing and says, you know, given this new information about somebody who is acting more like a Russian operative than anything else, I think Republicans are going to have to pull back on impeaching Biden. Yesterday, I played you the clip of the vampiric one, Nancy Pelosi, going on about how what Putin has on Trump. Maybe it's financial. Just throws it out there. There's no proof, no evidence. Doesn't matter. Just throw it out there. Why is all this happening? All this is happening is you're going back to the very same playbook of 2016 to try to stop Trump. They know that all the court cases are not going to do it. They're not going to be able to lock him up. He's not going to be in a Georgia prison. So now we're going back to the old 2016 playbook. These people are not that creative. They're really not. I mean, they're not, they, they have no imagination. They just go back to the same old playbook from 2016. Russian collusion. Trump's a Russian plant. He's a Russian operative. Putin waits to invade Ukraine until Joe Biden's president, but doesn't matter because actually Trump's on Putin's payroll and that's that's what counts. 
In addition to that, they also go back to the 2020 playbook and say that any information that comes out about the Bidens is Russian disinformation. Much like how the laptop you were told was Russian disinformation, now the confidential human source who said he had information about Biden's getting bribes, he was a Russian plant, Russian disinformation, and the corporate media just parrots it. They go out there and they parrot it and say all those things. They, they, they don't hold back. They say whatever it is that they're told by their handlers in D.C. And the revolving door continues. Comer, Clapper, all these people, they wind up getting jobs on MSNBC and CNN. Also sit on boards of the defense contractors, the defense industrial complex. And their job is to make sure that the money still flows. That's their job. I told you a story back in, I guess it was 2019. I think we went to the White House to interview Trump in 2019. I was a, I was in mornings, so Don and Greg were with me. And we went to the White House and the president and I were talking for a little bit in the Oval Office. And I said to him, I repeated what I said to him many times before. And I said, you know, I've told you this before, sir, but the reason why they wanted to stop you is because you're not giving them any new wars. And that's been a consistent theme. It's why they tried to stop him from getting elected. It's why they tried to stop him while he was in office. And it's why they're trying to stop him again. It all comes back to that. I'm convinced. If you go back and listen to what I said in 2016, back when other conservative hosts were bashing Trump, it's very convenient now. It really is. It's adorable, actually, to listen to so many conservative hosts now who just just love the man, you know, worship the man. But they trashed him left and right in 2016. But if you remember, I kept saying over and over again that the reason why they want to stop him is because he said no new wars. And he and Rand Paul got along. The two of them started to become buddies. And now they're good friends. And now they golf together all the time. But it's why they also tried to bring down his presidency. And what happens? They bring down his presidency. He's out. Biden's in. Within, what, a year, Putin invades Ukraine. Year, two two years, whatever it is. Putin rolls right into Ukraine. He's not worried about it. And are we really that concerned about this? Considering that all the money we're spending is just going to the defense industrial complex, are we really that worried about it? Do we really care if the war ends? No, in fact, we don't want it to. There's no talk of ceasefire. There's no talk of an end. There's no talk of how do we make this go away? Nothing like that. Because the swamp's got to eat. They got rid of the guy. They got rid of 45 because 45 was not making them rich enough. And now they're doing everything they can to stop 45 from becoming 47 because they don't want him to take away the food. All the delicious steak dinners at the Capitol Grill. See, the Capitol Grill is right around the corner from where I'm broadcasting from. Not the Capitol Grill, but it's a chain now, you know, so it's one of their locations. But not the grand one in the middle of Washington, D.C., where the real fat cats go. But you get the point. I mean, all this comes together for a reason. You know, suddenly now this confidential human source, even though the other confidential human sources were literally working with the Russians. And this is a great point that uh, Jim Jordan points out. How, how, come, how come these other confidential human sources who were used, uh, I'll give you one example, Christopher Steele, the guy who wrote the Fugazi dossier, that guy was literally working with the Russians on the creation of that thing. How come he was never charged by the FBI? How come he lied? He, no, he never got arrested. He never got in trouble. There's others too. But the two things that keep coming out here are more funding for Ukraine, and now everybody again is a Russian agent. 
Everybody in Trump's world is Russian, Russian bots, Russian agents, Russian stooges, Russian informants, Russian disinformation, Putin, Putin, Putin. I mean, it's getting to the point of just absurdity now. And what I can't understand is can't they come up with something just a little bit more creative? But they go back to the old playbook. It's like watching a bad rerun is what it is. Honestly, it really is like watching a bad rerun. To, to listen to these people go on and on about this confidential human source and to say that this guy is now compromised by the Russians and that means that the case against Joe Biden completely ends. You notice how nobody in the corporate media is interested in actually finding out if, if, if this is true as opposed to just the government arrests the guy to destroy his credibility and therefore destroy the case against the president. If we were living in a time where journalists still wanted to be Woodward and Bernstein, hey, here's a story for you. What if... The FBI, which has a notorious history of going after political opponents ever since J. Edgar Hoover first put on his first pair of high heels. The FBI, which has a very long history of going after and spying on people and intimidating them. And what if they just arrested this guy for the purposes of just simply destroying his credibility and nothing ever comes of it? How do you know he's really a Russian agent? How do you really know he's lying about Joe Biden? How does anyone know these things? How does the FBI know these things? Why doesn't somebody in the corporate media bother to ask? And the reason why is because, and I'll tell you why, many of the very same people that serve on the boards of all these corporations that own these news entities uh, are also the people that eat at the Capitol Grill with the rich and powerful, and they also serve on other boards, and they all speak at the same globalist conferences together, and they're all buddies together, and they're all and they're all in on it together. That's why. They're all in on it together. And so there is no investigative journalism that goes on. There's no one from CNN who's a gumshoe reporter who's going to go and track down to find out if maybe the FBI just arrested this confidential human source just simply to destroy the credibility of the guy, because that's one way you could do it. Arrest him and charge him with lying. How do you know he's lying? How do you know he's lying about the, the Biden's getting a bribe? You don't, but if you arrest him... In the middle of a congressional investigation into Biden's corruption, well, then that blows up. Guy's credibility shot. You throw the word Russian around and then it's further shot. And boom. Now your precious Ukraine funding. You don't have to worry about that getting uh, getting eaten up. In fact, you could use it to your advantage. You can use it to your advantage as they're doing by saying, and now Putin has his operatives acting in the United States of America. Further reason for us now to fund this war and give Ukraine the money and stand with Ukraine and blah, blah, blah. Use Navalny's death for that purpose. You use this confidential human source who was arrested for that purpose. Everything for that purpose. The purpose of making sure Ukraine gets funding and making sure that Donald Trump has not become president. Because the swamp has got to eat. Listen, those steak dinners don't buy themselves. You ever have a tomahawk steak in the Capitol Grill? It's delicious. Delicious. I like mine Pittsburgh style, medium rare. Charred on the outside, medium rare on the inside. And anyone, and I mean anyone, who serves a steak or eats a steak that is cooked more than medium rare, you are dead to me. You understand? Dead. Dead to me. All right, fine. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. We got a lot to chat about today, as you can imagine. We got a ton of great audio. We got some great guests coming up, too, including an answer to a question that you as a parent may have. Why are kids today so depressed? Is social media to blame or not? We're going to find out. It's great to be with you today. Don't go away. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. All right, it's a good song. Sorry, I get lost in it. It's very good. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. One of my favorite dead songs. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. By the way, in the middle of all this, uh, they are trying to extradite Julian Assange. This matters. This this really does matter, too, and ties into everything that I've been saying about the 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 corporate media and their collusion with government and big tech up until Elon Musk took over X uh, to control the narrative and suppress information and tell you what is truth. And they're still doing it, by the way. I've got a clip I'll play a little bit later in the show. Dr. Paul Offit was on Morning Joe this morning going on about how COVID did not come from a lab. Didn't come from a lab. Do you believe this now? It's four freaking years later and they're still telling us COVID did not come from a lab. It came from an undercooked Bat burger, Pittsburgh style. Look, I told you, get a tomahawk steak, Pittsburgh style, but your bat needs to be fully cooked. This is the problem. See, a steak, you can get away with a rare steak, but bat, you can't because then you get you start a global pandemic. That's that. That's the problem. So probably what happened is somebody went to the Wuhan wet market and said, "I'll do the bat tomahawk steak, please," and I'll do it Pittsburgh style. And they said, all right. And then they, you know, charred it, but it doesn't really cook in the middle. That's real pink. Global pandemic. Boom. There you go. This whole time I thought it was a bat burger with a pangolin aioli and a side of raccoon dog fries. But what if it was a bat steak? It's very possible. I'm not ruling anything out because they're telling us still it didn't come from a lab. So I have to believe them. You know, even though there's new stories now that China is still tinkering with new viruses and now creating a COVID virus that has a 100% lethality rate, what could possibly go wrong? This is zombie deer now a thing. No, I'm not even kidding. There's actually a story about that. Zombie deer. I'll get to the zombie deer. The whole thing sounds like we're living in a in, in, in like a Hitchcock movie or something, but it's all real. It's all true. It's all true. Henry, what was the clip I told you to queue up again? Now I don't even remember. Oh, yeah, Gloria Borger. This is from CNN today, as now they're saying that the confidential human source who had the goods on Biden is a Russian asset. Take a listen. I want to ask, we had Manu on just a few minutes ago, and he was outside the James Biden hearing. He's testifying in the impeachment inquiry into President Biden. And after all these revelations about this FBI informant who's now charged with perjury, getting information from the Russians, you still hear Jim Jordan being defiant about this. Is there an off-ramp, or what is the off-ramp for Republicans who were pushing so hard to impeach President Biden? Is there one? Well, it seems to me like what he was hinting at was uh, placing the blame on the FBI, saying, you know, they told us that this was a very credible informant and would be a very credible witness. They told us to trust him. 
and we trusted him and that is why we came down so hard on these charges so it seems to me and he was doing quite a job of spinning there uh, but it was a miraculous effort at spinning but it seems to me what they're going to go at is the uh, politicized justice department and say did they feed us someone who was giving them false inform giving us false information and did they know it and you know you could hear a little bit of that uh, in what Jim Jordan was saying to Manu just kind of placing the blame on the FBI and not on the committee for pursuing something that that was not true when they launched the official impeachment inquiry when they when they got the votes for it there were those who said, look, you don't launch an impeachment inquiry without ultimately getting an impeachment vote. That the fact of an inquiry means there will definitely be a vote on impeachment. Does right. that still hold, though, given that they've turned up so little concrete evidence tying President Biden himself to shady business dealings and the fact that you have some blue district Republicans sort of wobbly on this? Yeah, well, if they had a vote now, they probably wouldn't get it. So they're not going to have a vote. And I don't even know, given this new information, whether they're going to go through with it. I mean, Comer has been a little wobbly lately. Jordan was spinning. And, you know, given this new information about somebody who is acting more like a Russian, you know, operative than anything else, uh, I think, you know, they're going to have to pull back. There it and is. what See, they decide to Thank do. You, that's 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 what it is. Russian operative, that's it. They got to pull back. You can't investigate the Bidens. The big guy's got to stay because he's the one who's going to make sure the checks to Ukraine cash and that the military industrial complex eats and the swamp gets rich and everybody gets to have a nice steak. Just cook your bat. 855-839-1210. Coming up, parents, do you ever wonder why there's so much depression among kids? Are your grandkids depressed? Is it social media? We're going to find out. We've got a great interview coming up for you. But first, my friends at Cherry Hill Volvo have an incredible opportunity for you right now. They have the beautiful Cherry Hill Volvo S60 courtesy car available for you for $29,000. That's right, $29,000. It has less than 5,000 miles on it. It's a beauty. These courtesy cars are rarely used. And that's why they're they're also kept in pristine condition. And you see, Cherry Hill Volvo is going through a big renovation right now, which means that this is your opportunity to save, your opportunity to save right now at Cherry Hill Volvo because relationships matter. And Judith, Yosef, the entire team will work to get you the absolute best deal possible on that beautiful Volvo that you want. And hey, in S-Class, they're made right at their plant in South Carolina. It's American Jobs, and they're fast, and they're beautiful, and the great technology on them. You'll love driving one. Head to Cherry Hill Volvo now. There's never been a better time to go see the people that stand with us. We broadcast live from the Cherry Hill Volvo studios, and that means a lot to me, and it should mean a lot to you. So stand with them because they stand with us because at Cherry Hill Volvo, relationships matter. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. All right, welcome back. Glad you're here today on a Wednesday. Busy one, 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Thanks for being here. The question, of course, is, are kids depressed today? Are they really, really lonely and depressed? Why are they so depressed? And is it social media? Well, my guest is the author of Tranquility by Tuesday, and she's also the host of the Before Breakfast podcast. Lara Vanderkam, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you? 
I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. So our ki- people say kids are depressed. And what is really, I mean, are they, first of all, I guess that's the first question. I have three, mine are nine, seven, and three. They seem to be in pretty good spirits. So I think we're mostly probably talking about teenagers. So I guess I, do I have to worry about my kids getting depressed? Probably not so much about your kids. I mean, you know, if things are going well, probably they will continue to go well. Um, But, you know, broadly, people have always been concerned about teenagers. I mean, I'm sure you can think back to when you were a teenager, people were probably concerned about all sorts of other things. But the good news, actually, these days, teenagers are doing better on many degrees than they used to be. The teen pregnancy rate is down. The arrest rate for violent crimes is down. More kids are graduating from high school. Now, in the opposite direction, there is some evidence that there are, you know, increasing number of children having mental health challenges. Um, You know, that's happened over the past two decades. What else has happened over the past two decades? There's been a rise in social media, so a lot of people are worried about a causation. But it turns out that this is a lot more nuanced question than people seem to think. A lot of people make it very, very simple. They go, well, the kids are on screens all day. The kids are on social media and the kids are depressed because of the screens and the social media. And we also had a pandemic where a lot of these kids were not around their friends. They were not in school. They were not playing sports. They were they were kind of forced to be on these screens. Absolutely. And I think what you might see happening, I mean, again, it could be lots of things going on. Um, but what screens do is and they make, you know, passive leisure more entertaining than it probably was in the past when you only had three channels to watch on TV or something like that. And so if screens are displacing things that we know make kids happier, like playing outside, doing sports, hanging out with their friends, then it's possible that there could be a correlation with rising mental health challenges. But that doesn't necessarily mean that social media itself is causing that. Right. In other words, if the kids got off the couch and went outside and played like we did when we were kids... And we, a lot of kids today, I, I, I say this all the time, they're, they're kind of like indoor cats. You know, they hate being outside. They'd rather just be inside. And when I was a kid, it was go outside and play. And then when it got dark, you, you knew you had to come home. But then even then, we would still take flashlights and play a flashlight tag or capture the flag or something like that. I mean, have we, have we lost a lot of that now with our kids? There's some element of that. But it's also that, you know, kids do different things and they relate to their friends in different ways and that's all fine and there's some good things about social media too i mean certainly kids who are in rural areas who don't have their friends nearby they can interact with their peers in a way that they couldn't Um, when i wrote a story recently about social media and teen depression and things like that i interviewed a young woman whose family had been quarantined for ages with covid because they had a lot of kids and Snapchat was her lifeline, you know, that she had just started a new school and was able to actually keep communicating with her friends because of it. So, you know, there are good things in the past. There are bad things in the past. There's good things now. There's bad things now. Um, generally, kids who are fine are going to be fine. It's the kids who are maybe more on the margins that we need to worry about. But, you know, they face a rough life anyway. Now, in terms of social media, we talk about, say, a young girl, a teenage girl who goes on Instagram and gets depressed because of body image and everything. That seems to be the classic thing that we hear about a lot. And then you have regulators in Washington who want to start regulating this. I don't know how you do that. It seems to me like it might create more problems. But what is that effect on kids where they, they, they develop insecurities because of, of social media? How does that apply? Well, that's certainly one theory of why social media might be affecting teen mental health. It could be body image. Um, You know, certainly there's a lot of 
beautiful people online, although we you know, forget there's a lot of beautiful people in magazines and television that you know, the media people would primarily consume in the past. And, you know, there's some evidence that there actually might be more diverse forms of beauty on social media than, you know, wherever in glossy magazines. Um, it could be bullying. You know, people are exposed to things online that it would have been very hard for kids to do in the past. You know, in the past, if somebody took a picture of you doing something you shouldn't have, um, you know, to share that with a ton of people would have been so difficult to do, right? To get it developed, to share it with a bunch of people. Whereas now, you know, you snap a photo at a party, it could be viral around the world tomorrow. And so, you know, there's certainly some element of that. People feeling like they might need to be a little bit um, more worried about um, bullying or being exposed to harmful content. So, you know, those are various mechanisms that might be making people more depressed, but it also just might be that kids are spending a little bit less time, you know, in person with friends and outside and on exercise and things like that. What about medicating kids? I mean, there's been such an increase in that. I saw a story today. They're talking about giving kids weight loss drugs now as early as 12. Uh, I mean, almost everybody has knows somebody whose kid is on Adderall or Ritalin or something like that. I mean, what, 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 what are the effects of all that, you think? It's so hard to know. I mean, I think there's been some evidence that if kids are more active, they might be better able to manage symptoms of impulsivity. Um, you know, and so certainly that would be something for people to try. But, of course, there's also kids who truly do need medication for conditions. And, you know, we shouldn't disparage that if that's what they need. It, it's just hard to know what what's going to come out of all of this. Because, you know, a lot of stuff hasn't, like weight loss drugs, haven't been tested so well on young kids. And one hopes that perhaps, um, you know, if kids are able to be more active and, outside that maybe that would moderate weight gain. Um, there's some evidence that during the pandemic, children did gain more weight as they were not doing things like physical education and sports. And so hopefully that's something we can get a little bit more back to. Yeah, because if, if, if you kind of tie it together, I mean, if we're seeing a correlation with kids who are not outside playing with their friends and they're not doing those things and they're also gaining weight, and then the answer is, well, you know, give them a shot of Ozempic or you know whatever it is when they're 12, that isn't solving the bigger problem here and then also i think in addition to that you're not dealing with the fact that the kids are still going to feel the effects of the loneliness and the isolation and maybe that's making them eat more i mean in addition to not being outside it could also be the fact that they're feeling depressed and so maybe they're they're eating a lot more i don't know when i get depressed i tend to eat more I think most of us do. So, you know, it, adults and children aren't that different in the sense that we all know we probably shouldn't be spending you know, eight hours a day on screens. We shouldn't be, you know, mindlessly consuming junk while we are, are doing so. And then it might be better if we were doing healthier leisure activities like, you know, reading and going for walks and hanging out with friends and family and all that. So, you know, it's, it's hard to know how this will all play out. Um, I think the danger in trying to centrally regulated is that you have so many problems and, and just in general regulation tries to simplify things to a degree to be workable. And and so I think I'm concerned that, you know, if people are like, well, teens are teens are depressed, we need to cut down on teens being on social media, let's pass laws saying that they can't during certain hours. It can only be on for a certain amount of time or whatever sort of thing. It's very hard to be workable. And, you know, I'm not sure that that will solve the problem that, that people are seeing.
I'm not either, and I also don't think that if you start doing things like age verification and things on social media, I don't think that's going to solve the problem. I also don't think banning apps is going to solve the problem because, if anything, if you ban an app, kids are going to want it more. I mean, that's one thing we know about kids is that if they can't have something or do something, they they tend to crave it, and they're smarter than us when it comes to technology in many ways, so they can figure that stuff out before the parents even catch on. Absolutely, and that's not to say that there aren't things that can't be done to make for a safer internet, uh, you know, for children to experience. Well, Certainly, safer how? You're not, how do you define yeah, well, safer? But, well, sort of just thinking about, like, with television, you can't advertise liquor on shows that are primarily aimed at children, for instance, right? right? And, and so thinking about how could some of those guidelines translate into a different media landscape, I think that's a question that is worth exploring. And I think that social media companies might be wise to also try to figure out how they are not showing children things that probably people wouldn't want children to see, um, you know, just as a way to make sure that broader regulations don't happen, um, you know, when there's a big backlash. But, you know, this is this is all just evolving so quickly. And, and that's the thing. Technology changes so quickly. And you know, one of, one of the things that's so interesting to me about this is a lot of the regulations like, oh, well, we need to change Facebook because there's these bad things on Facebook. Teens don't even use Facebook anymore, right? They've, they've pretty much left Facebook to go do other apps. Um, so you're always just, you know, trying to change things after the fact. What if you, here's a great question. Should they, should they show those weight loss drug commercials to kids? <laughs> Now, that is a thorny question. Um, You know, I mean, given that children can't really make their own medical decisions on drugs, I'm not sure if that would be a very great idea, but... um, No, I don't think think it would, honestly. I I, I don't think it's a good idea because I think then you're going to get kids primed to... Think that uh, that's the route that's they want the way to go down. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I yeah. think I think it's a bad idea. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you get into some free speech questions around all this stuff, but uh, but look, I mean, when you're dealing with unregulated entities, um, you know, that do show our kids commercials, I think as parents, there's a responsibility we have too, which is to make sure we know what our kids are watching, for example, and to and to know and be involved in their lives and not let television or screens just be their babysitter i think that's i think parents have a big role to play in this and what scares me is that the more that the government gets involved in trying to solve this problem and i'm using air quotes the it's very easy for parents to just turn around and go yeah please do something do anything because i don't have the time i'm working all the time and i don't have the time to deal with this but parents have to they got to be involved they need to know what their kids are are doing and watching and playing and and i know it's it's not a hundred percent possible all the time but you got they got to do the best job they can Absolutely. Well, parents definitely can can and should be be parents and be watching what their kids are doing. It's a little bit harder with, you know, social media and things that are online versus, say, when you have the family television in the living room, which is very difficult to, you know, watch something you're not supposed to if your parents are right around because they're going to hear it, they're going to see it. Um, you know, if you're on headphones with your phone off anywhere, you're, it's hard for other people to do that, to, to monitor that. But yeah, you know, and and one of the best ways that I think parents can help make sure that their children are are dealing with this all right is to sort of limit the space that is available for kind of zoning out online and consuming all sorts of social media content. Um, Just 
you know, having times that children don't have devices available, right? Having time that is marked out for homework or for outside play or for other sorts of entertainment so that it isn't the thing you're doing all the time can go a long way with limiting the role of social media in a child's life. That's why I love snow days in winter, because I made them the other day. It snowed. I said, get your boots on. You're going outside. <laughs> Go they tried outside. to fight me. I said, I don't care. Get your, you're going outside. Get outside. And I was proud of the fact that I made them go outside, and they complained, and they whined, but then they got out there, and they had a good time. You know what I mean? So, well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. And the other thing, too, is I think uh, in my family, certainly, everybody, we try to have dinner together every night. And no devices at the table. I think that's also a key thing as well. Uh, but I agree with you. Social media is not the big bad guy. That It's not the answer to all the problems that we think it is when it comes to teens. It's a more complicated, more nuanced question and conversation. Laura Vanderkam, thank you very much. The book is Tranquility by Tuesday. And the podcast is called Before Breakfast, which I'm assuming comes out in the mornings. Uh, it does. Every weekday morning, there's a new episode giving people a tip to take their day from great to awesome. At least I hope so. Well, good. Well, thank you for joining us. You made this day awesome for us. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. The Rich Zioli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Now, I'll tell you, that was the big story of the day brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile. Because you deserve a great smile. And speaking of my kids, all my kids also go see Dr. Venaria. He is our family dentist. Uh, Emmons Roofing and Siding, they do great work. And Emmons does fantastic work when it comes to remodeling kitchens and bathrooms. They really do. They remodeled our kitchen. They remodeled our bathroom. And I was so happy with the work they did. You will be as well. And if you've had any damage to your home, given all the winter storms and everything, you need to reach out to Emmons today. They will do a great job for you, and their work is guaranteed. Matt and his wife, Stephanie, will make sure that that work is done and you are happy. Doors, windows, siding, roofing, kitchen remodeling, bathroom remodeling in a day. Yes, I said one day. It is possible with a team with Emmons. And you should reach out to them. Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and the Jersey Shore. If you have a shore house at the Jersey Shore, get that roof inspected now because minor leaks in the winter can lead to big problems when the warm weather hits. Just go to EmmonsRoofing.com today. EmmonsRoofing.com. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast this is the next generation of talk now on talk radio 1210 WPHT Rich Zioli Ukraine can't win. Bottom line is Ukraine can't win, and that that point needs to be made, and we need to stop this and cut this off. But the money is going to the military-industrial complex, and I can prove it for you, and I will. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today, 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli, 7.2 million Illegals entered the United States under President Joe Biden. That is an amount greater than the population of 36 different states. 36 states. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? Meanwhile, we're hearing how we have to send more money to Ukraine. Joe Biden, again, using the death of Navalny, Putin's top critic, to argue that we need to send more money to Ukraine. Now, I don't understand why. I don't, I don't get that. 
But if you tie the two together, you tie Navalny's death in prison, you tie the news that the Justice Department says that this guy, who was a confidential human source for 10 years, 10 years with the FBI, is now suddenly a Russian asset because now he came out and said that the Bidens took bribes. If you tie those two things together, you get, oh, we need more money for Ukraine. Why? Because Putin's now influencing our elections again, and he's killing his enemies, and uh, he's influencing U.S. politics because he had this confidential human source on his payroll, and they were trying to bring down the Bidens. It's the Hunter Biden laptop story all over again. This time now with the goal of getting more money sent to Ukraine. And that's what they're trying to do. And we're also now having this conversation about how Russia is trying to put nukes in space. That's an old story. Dr. Victoria Coates, who, by the way, was one of the 26 people that the CIA spied on in the Trump campaign. Our buddy, Dr. Victoria Coates, was on that list of people spied on. Philly's own and the expert in foreign policy and national security. She was spied on by our own government back in 2016. And she said, look, the story about Russia using nukes in space is an old story. It's coming out again now because they want more money to go to Ukraine. That's what's happening. Now, National Review typically is all in the tank for money for Ukraine. I mean, they have one story here, for example, Russia's space weapons capabilities are worth worrying about. They have another one, a Russian wake-up call in space. But they have this article, and I want to share this with you. It is called The U.S. The Case Against U.S. Involvement in Ukraine in Plain English. Now, before I get to this, I want to play you a clip. Henry, I just emailed you a clip. It was from The View uh, with a congressman on there explaining where all the money goes. Do you have that one by chance? Did you get that one yeah, yet? Yeah, g- give me a second. I'm having a problem with it. Uh Uh-oh. Problem with the clips. That always seems to happen to us, doesn't it? It always seems to have problems. Matt DeSantis is setting up at CPAC. He's down the road at the Gaylord Hotel in Maryland. I'm at the the studio WMAL in Washington, D.C. I'll be heading over there tonight. There's a cool event tonight I'm going to, actually. Looks like a lot of fun. It's a reception at CPAC. We're going to be live on Radio Row tomorrow and Thursday doing the show from there, so I'm excited. But... There is a reception that's happening on uh, tonight with Ambassador Richard Grinnell. And some of the guests are going to be Senator Tommy Tuberville, Daryl Issa, Ambassador Carla Sands, Nigel Farage, Steve Bannon, former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss, Matt Whitaker, and Gordon Chang. So that'll be tonight at the Gaylord National Hotel. I'll be there for that. And um, I even decided that I would wear a jacket for it. Not a tie. Because it's not a dinner, it's a reception. I don't think you have to wear ties at receptions. That's my philosophy anyway. And ties are annoying and they spread germs and they're they're just kind of gross. Yeah, and you're gonna Plus, you'll take it off anyway, right? Yeah, I'm gonna take it off. I'm gonna do I would rock the James Bond look and have it around my neck. And I'm a hip talk show host. So I don't need to wear a tie. I'm not a stodgy politician. I mean I may have to be again, but for the time being at least I'm a talk show host. <laughs> Can't tell you what the future's going to bring, but at least for the time being, I'm a hip talk show host, so I can rock jeans and a sport coat, and I can pull it off. Am I right? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's right, Henry. Thank you. Hell yeah. All right, here's the clip. Now, pay attention here. I know the view is painful, okay, but you have to realize something. This is why I bring this stuff to you. 
millions of Americans every day are brainwashed. They are brainwashed. And they sit there in front of televisions during the day and they get more depressed. They get more depressed and they're brainwashed and they hear this kind of crap. And if you don't know what's being said, then you can't push back on it because you're, you, you don't know what's happening. Like early on in my career, I started to, now everybody does it, but I started to play these clips a lot. And I'd make fun of them and kind of mystery science 3000 them, you know. And now, of course, it's a whole thing. It's a whole cottage industry. But I was really the pioneer to do this. But I used to get yelled at. You know, people say, why are you playing that clown? I don't want to hear those people. And I always say the same thing. You need to know what's being said. This is the kind of stuff that people are listening to on daytime television. And a lot of this stuff plays in dentist offices, not Dr. Mike Venarius. It plays at car auto shops, you know, not Mongo's Tire, not Cherry Hovava. But a lot of these places, this stuff kind of just plays in the background. And you think it's background noise, but it's actually there for a purpose. And that purpose is to indoctrinate the masses with narratives and propaganda the view which is a vile show with vile human beings on it is owned by abc disney china that's the parent company name abc disney china you know abc news is owned by the parent company being disney and the parent company of disney is china so it's abc disney china they don't there this is not an accident that they have conversations like this so today a congressman goes on the view and he's explaining how the money that goes to Ukraine isn't really going to Ukraine. It's going to jobs in America. And this is everything that I said in my opening monologue to you. Here I am in the swamp. There's a Capitol Grill, a stone's throw away from me, where I'm broadcasting from right now in the Northwest. Not the Capitol Grill, but a Capitol Grill. But at the real one in D.C., which is I've been to many, many times, and I love it there. And that's the, that's the OG. That's the OG Capitol Grill. Literally named Capitol Grill because it's in the Capitol. And then, you know, it became a franchise. And But the dinners that happen in places like that and the drinks at Hawk and Dove and Politiki and all the other places, the swamp is getting rich off this war in Ukraine. And they want to make sure it keeps going, which is why they want to make sure that Joe Biden's protected, which is why this confidential human source is now suddenly a Russian asset, even though for 10 years he was on the FBI's payroll and they never had a problem with him. And he was always reliable. Now, suddenly, he's Russian. He's a Russian plant. And so they got to protect the big guy. They got to stop Trump. So now we're hearing all the stories again about Trump and Putin, Trump and Putin. And it's all about making sure that Ukraine gets the money. But Ukraine doesn't really get the money. The money goes to the military-industrial complex. Dwight Eisenhower, on his way out the door, warned us about this. And Ike was no dove. You know, the guy had a tiny little bit of a role to play in World War II uh, before he became president. You know, he's one of those guys that came from the military and then went into politics. And I don't know exactly what Dwight Eisenhower did in World War II, but I'm told it was something significant. I'm not a history guy. I have no idea. But I'm told it was significant. And actually, if you ever go to the World War II Museum in New Orleans, you'll learn a lot about General Eisenhower and his role in World War II, particularly when it came to D-Day. But again, I don't know much about history, don't know much about biology, but I do know one thing, and that is, I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic here because Animal House just jumped in my head and I was going to start singing, but I'm not going to do that to you. So this is why I bring you the clip. I bring you this stuff so you can understand the indoctrination that goes on in this country every single day. 
Look, I'm here behind this microphone because I actually care. I care. And it's not just about yucks. You know, we have some fun and it's good and you should because you have to laugh and life is too tense sometimes. But I decided a long time ago, if I ever can't bring you the truth, I'll do something else. I'm a very talented guy when it comes to things that don't involve the following physical labor, car maintenance, home improvement, anything manual, anything that actually involves me being at a desk for eight hours because of my attention span. But I'm very talented. I can do a lot of other things. I can't do anything involving math or science or medicine. And I didn't go to law school, so I don't have a law degree. But I can do other things. So I'm not worried about it. If it came to it where I was ever silenced, I would just go back to political consulting. I'd make more, probably make more money and I'd be fine. I'm not worried about that. But what I would worry about was being able to, if I had, if I could not expose you to the truth, if I could not show you what's really happening every day, then I would hate myself and I would hate my job and I would hope that I could do something else. Even if that something else meant driving an Uber, fine. I could be an Uber driver who launches a national comedy show like Jimmy Fallon. I'll be the Jimmy Fallon to Uber as what Jimmy Fallon was to cab driving. I'm okay with that. I'll do it. It's not a problem. Bringing the truth is the most important thing. And when you hear this guy go on The View and talk about how the money is really going to jobs in America, and this is very similar to what that State Department spokesperson said to Dana Perino today in Fox News. The money's not going to Ukraine. The money's going to the people that make the tanks in Michigan, that go make the bullets in Pennsylvania, that make the whatever in, in North Carolina, all the swing states, you know, for a reason. They point this stuff out. You understand the military industrial complex is getting very rich off this war, and this is why they want this war to continue. Ukraine cannot win. In a moment, I'll share with you this article. But in the meantime, take a listen to this clip, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Here you go. And- Mr. Leader, you you also met with President Zelensky at the Munich Security Conference this weekend, and you alluded to there's this $95 billion package on the floor uh, to support Ukraine, which sounds like it's dead on arrival because some of these Republicans blocking it. I know your colleague Brian Fitzpatrick, a more moderate Republican, has offered a solution to try to move it forward. Some Republicans could even do a discharge petition to try to force this vote. What is What can be done, and what's the likelihood something passes this Congress to support Ukraine going into their spring counteroffensive? Yeah. Well, all options legislatively are definitely on the table. Mm. Uh, Congressman Fitzpatrick was on the trip. Uh, also, the Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Chairman Turner, was on the trip. They both expressed to President Zelensky and to us in our conversations that they want to find a way forward to work together and to get this bill on the floor for an up or down vote. Uh, it passed the Senate with about 70 votes, yeah. came over to us. It's comprehensive and it's bipartisan. Now, at the same time, we all recognize that there are issues domestically that we need to continue to prioritize, and we will. We'll continue to work hard to fight for lower costs and for better paying jobs and to grow the middle class for safer communities uh, and, of course, to build a healthy economy that works for everyday Americans. This is our top priority and will continue to be. But at the same time, America has always been a leader of the free world and we cannot abandon our post. Do, do these lawmakers understand that this isn't a blank check to Ukraine? It's in fact to to manufacture weapons in the United States that contributes to our GDP in addition to supporting Ukraine against Russia? Has that argument been made? That argument has definitely been made. We probably will continue to elevate it so that the American people hear it, that these are investments that will be made in the United States. 
that will generate economic activity for everyday Americans. There it is. Some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle understand those dynamics, but others are more concerned with performance politics yeah. and political stunts. All right, that's enough we- of that. Thank you, Henry. So you see, that's that's what I'm that's exactly what I'm telling you. This money is going to the defense industrial complex in the United States of America. That's why the swamp wants to stop Trump. That's why the swamp wants either Nikki Haley or Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats put in if it's not Biden. As long as it's not Trump. And this is why now Trump is Putin's puppet. This is why anybody who opposes funding the war in Ukraine is a puppet of Putin, wants to see Putin win. And then we hear all the things about how our kids are going to be fighting the Russians in World War Three. And it's going to be just like that movie. They'll be parachuting in. You know what I mean? The Wolverines will have to gather together and they'll all have to get in the pickup trucks and we'll go fight them in the mountains. We keep hearing this stuff over and over again. Red Dawn. We keep hearing this stuff over and over again because it's propaganda, because the swamp, the military industrial complex and the leeches who leech off of that, the lobbyists and the lawyers and all the people who have seats on boards of these companies. And they're all intertwined. ABC, Disney and the military industrial complex. They're all buddies. They they share lobbyists. They share lawyers. They share receptions. They share they share political consultants. It's all intertwined. It's all intertwined here. But the reality is Ukraine cannot win. And this piece by Michael Brendan Dougherty at National Review is excellent. And he says here, let's lay it out in plain English. The case against appropriating another $60 billion to support Ukraine's defense against Russia is still largely the same case against America involving itself deeply in Ukraine's politics at all. For reasons of geography, history, and current economic relations, Ukraine is peripheral, peripheral to America's interests and dear to Russia's interests, and Americans sense this real asymmetry. American security and prosperity have never depended on our political or economic relationship with Ukraine. Although it has resources and produces goods that are important on the global market, there is hardly anything an American consumer uses that has a made-in-Ukraine label on it. Ukraine is not like Taiwan, whose dominance in computer chip making is important to our economy and sustaining our way of life. Russia's and Ukraine's economies are deeply intertwined. Ukraine has depended on Russia for gas. Millions of Russians have family roots in Ukraine and vice versa. Russia historically depends for its security on access to the Black Sea through a port in Crimea. And Russia has been invaded via Ukraine by Napoleon's army and Hitler's. The presence of a hostile army on Russia's border with Ukraine is seen by Russian leaders, not just Putin, as completely intolerable. Americans, because of this asymmetry of interests, have already put hard limits on what they are willing to do to assist Ukraine. Early debates about Americans or Europeans leading a no-fly zone were quickly ruled out. President Biden and Republican supporters of Ukraine have to constantly reassure Americans that there are no plans to put American troops in harm's way to vindicate Ukraine's territorial and political claims to sovereignty. Russia has no such limits. These hard limits, the very ones given within our Constitution, should have cautioned American politicians from rhetorically inflating this conflict into one that would determine America or NATO's credibility or that implicated the future of the entire free world. Taking on Ukraine as a Western dependent is difficult, uncertain and treacherous. Here it must be said that the aspiration of Ukraine's westward tilting nationalists to reorient their economic and political relations is totally understandable. 
Russian and Ukrainian economic relations can feel predatory to Ukraine. Millions of Ukrainians have worked in Poland and have seen what decades of economic growth within the European Union can do for a post-Eastern Bloc state. But since 2008, the West and Russia increasingly made Ukraine's alignment into an all-or-nothing proposition. This exacerbated internal divisions in Ukraine's politics, leading to the Maiden Revolution and the banning of the party of the regions and many of its successor parties. Even if the Ukrainian military effort from here on out is supremely successful, driving Russia back to its pre-February 2022 positions, Western sponsors would have to weigh very considerable propositions. Will they want to continue to fund a military effort that will be driving much of the current population of Crimea out of it? Will they support Ukraine's ejecting Russians from their long-term naval base at Sevastopol? an asset over which Russians have proved willing to fight major power wars? Further, detaching Ukraine politically, economically, and militarily from Russia and then integrating Ukraine into Western institutions like NATO and the European Union is an uncertain project to say the very least. NATO membership is by definition ruled out for any nation that has a current border dispute, meaning Ukraine's decision to join would require it to surrender any present territorial claims against Russia. Can any elected government of Ukraine, after the cost of such a war, argue freely to surrender Crimea in a way that would be permanent and credible? Western declamations that Ukraine must join NATO also present the perverse incentive for Russia to maintain Ukraine's borderlands in a state of perpetual conflict in order to forestall such an outcome. Consider also that reducing or eliminating Russia's influence over Ukrainian politics could require rebuilding Ukraine's energy infrastructure. Even in the months leading up to the 2022 invasion, after nearly a decade of serious conflict and Russia's coercive diplomacy, cutting off energy to manipulate political outcomes in Kyiv, Ukraine relied on Belarus and Russia for nearly 50% of its energy. After decades, the EU hasn't even worked out new energy infrastructure for members like Hungary, the Czech Republic, and Slovakia, often leading to political difficulties for the bloc as a whole. Those members are currently scrambling to sign liquefied natural gas contracts with Qatar, Turkey, and Poland. And by the way, the United States of America just announced that we are not going to be exporting any more liquid natural gas. So all these countries are going to be dependent again on our enemies. That's right. Ukrainian membership could also exacerbate an anti-EU sentiment within the bloc by further driving up internal migration. EU membership would grant all Ukrainian citizens a right to settle and work across the EU. In the past, such an outflow posed serious issues of brain drain for Hungary and Poland, a risk that a a rebuilding Ukraine would be ill-prepared to endure. Finally, and most challenging, there is Ukraine's political culture. The westernization of Ukraine has depended on ill-liberal and extreme nationalist suppression of those elements in Ukrainian society deemed backwards or eastern-looking. So you don't hear this. They don't tell you this in America. Illiberal is the is the opposite of liberal. So when you talk about an illiberal place, that means there's no freedom. You don't hear about this, but the efforts going on in Ukraine include legal and extra legal warfare, the banning of political parties and opposition media, criminalization of of monolingual Russian popular uh, publications, limiting Russian language imports, a pattern of selective prosecution and anti-corruption of, uh, efforts. 
It also includes the persecution of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which has made big public gestures of breaking with Russia's political leadership, though not enough to satisfy the government. And in addition to that, they've just canceled the election because they're in the middle of a war. The problem is that none of this will get debated by our Congress. None of this. The proponents of this funding need to be asked hard questions about American power and resources. They need to be asked how they could be so flippant. How was it that they came to throw around such large but empty promises and billions of dollars in a war so peripheral to our interest? Moralizing and wish casting is not to be confused with stewardship of a global order. And how dare they turn their back on the American people? They know full well that Americans never wanted to pursue these lofty and geopolitical goals if doing so entailed serious risks or sacrifice. Now they come around and blame the voters and those representing them for their supposed backstabbing or for sympathizing with Putin. These politicians are not friends of democracy. They believe the voters are too ignorant to believe the intelligence briefings because they know the voters would never believe it and they don't want to stand for it. And that's why Congress won't debate it. Opponents of Ukraine funding don't need moral permission from their critics to dissent from some imagined golden orthodoxy in favor of the Ukrainian cause. Those critics have spent a week nut-picking tweets or sharing little clips of Tucker Carlson to shame opponents of aid into silence and to avoid the obvious and predicted failures of the policy that they've advocated. It's a stupid game if you want to play it. There's plenty of low-hanging fruit for Adam Kinzinger, Tom Nichols, and Rachel Maddow to pick at, among all the other people. But the bottom line is this. America's low level and now rapidly diminishing support for the Ukrainian cause was eminently foreseeable. It is profoundly immoral to wave away the responsibility in politics to assess the cost, to measure up the resources of weapons and will, and then go abroad in search of monsters to destroy anyway. And that's what we're doing. That's exactly what we're doing. And the American people deserve better. But we won't have that debate. Anybody who says what I just said or what Michael Brennan Dougherty says at National Review, they'll be blamed. They'll be called a pro-Putin advocate. They'll be shamed because for all the reasons you heard that guy say on The View, because all of these jobs and all this money that's being made by the defense industrial complex, all that money is what this war is all about. And that's why they have to stop Trump at any cost. And that's why they've got to protect Joe Biden at any cost or whoever Biden's replacement is, or Nikki Haley, or anyone who supports their efforts, period. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Listen, NJ Diet's going to help you lose some serious weight, 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days with NJ Diet. Guaranteed, that's right, contractually guaranteed, njdiet.com. You need to reach out to them today, njdiet.com. They will help you. Spring is coming. Now is your time. Now is your chance to lose the weight for good. Just call them at 855-5-NJ-DIET, 855-5-NJ-DIET, or go to njdiet.com, njdiet.com. You'll lose the weight guaranteed. You'll feel great just in time to take off all the bulky clothes for spring weather, and you will be looking good. There's a location nearby you in King of Prussia, Newark, Delaware, Cherry Hill, and Princeton, or live online with video consultations at njdiet.com. njdiet.com, lose the weight for good. 
The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. All right, it's a busy Wednesday. CPAC Eve down in Washington. Thanks for being here today. Follow along on Twitter. Keep the conversation going at Rich Zioli. Love to hear from your thoughts, and I will share some of those on the air as we go along. I'm very happy that X has now been taken over by Elon Musk, and now we have a free platform. But censorship is alive and well, and it's everywhere. And one of the great organizations that fights it and does a great job is right here in Philadelphia. It's FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. And joining me now is Aaron Terror. Aaron is the Director of Public Advocacy for the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. Aaron, thank you for making time today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I like the uh, Dire Straits intro. Well, we did it just for you. It's a your walk-on <laughs> song like the Phillies have, you know? Uh, let's great, let's talk about uh, the efforts of FIRE because, you know, years ago it was the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. And then you guys decided to branch out and expand. And I'm glad you did because it's not just simply education anymore. It seems to be censorship is everywhere we look. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, we... Um we were the foundation for individual rights and education for about 20 years. Uh, and we accomplished a lot in that role. There was a lot, there was a lot of stuff going on on campus during that two decades that we, uh, we had to focus on, but yeah, over the last few years, we just saw growing threats to free speech off campus and uh, a creeping illiberalism in our institutions. Um, and, you know, six in 10 Americans say they think that our democracy is at risk because people are afraid to speak their minds. So, whether it's legislative assaults on First Amendment rights or just kind of a cultural crisis of faith and free speech as a fundamental American value, it started to become clear that we needed to build a movement uh, that fights to preserve free speech in the court of law and the court of public opinion, uh, and that we need an organization exclusively dedicated to defending free speech, both on and off campus, uh, without any partisan bias. And we increasingly heard from our supporters who wanted to see us take our brand of free speech advocacy uh, to the broader society, so that that was that was all behind our decision to expand. And what I like now is, and I've talked about this before with Greg Lukianoff, who's of course the uh, the big guy over there, is yeah. we have a lot of college campuses in this country that are they are not epicenters of free speech at all. In fact, when the the heads of all the different elite universities were getting grilled by Congress over their decision to allow certain speech on college campuses. I really had no sympathy for them because they have been the biggest critics in terms of, of, of speech, the biggest silencers, for example, the biggest people that turned around and clamped down on expression. So you, when, you, when you start turning into the censorati, then you, you are certainly subject to be criticized for the speech that you ultimately do allow since you don't have a consistent policy on that. And that's what I think you saw play out there. But you guys always put lists out together, and, and you have your, your 10 worst censors of 2024. Now, what does this mean, America's 10 worst censors? Well, Americans on and off campus are finding it difficult to speak freely without facing retaliation from the government, uh, from university administrators, from their employers. Uh, and you know, until this year, we used to, the list used to be the 10 worst colleges for free speech, but since we expanded off campus now, we wanted to change the criteria to include some censors that uh, exist off campus as well. So now we have kind of a mix of the five worst on campus censors and the five worst off campus. And it's, 
you know, we, we, we do our best to try and take what we think of the 10 worst examples from the previous year. It's, it's, it's actually pretty difficult to choose because there's a lot to choose from. But, um, but the point of this list is just to shine a light on some of the worst that we've seen with the goal, the goal of raising awareness of how uh, these institutions and authorities are infringing on Americans' First Amendment rights or undermining a culture of free expression. And the hope is that by naming and shaming them and giving them a little bit of unwanted media coverage that we can discourage this kind of censorship in the future. Absolutely. So let's start with the San Diego Middle School who uh, went after a kid for, and I'll use air quotes here, uh, blackface. <laughs> That's right. So uh, this, this middle school student, he went to a local high school football game with his friend, and there were a lot of people in the stands that were wearing face paint, body paint, as, as anyone who's watched a football game or almost any sports game before has seen. Uh, and so his friend, he decided to put on some himself. His friend put uh, this black face paint on, based on a picture that they found online of like an athlete wearing this, if anyone, you know, athletes will apply eye black under their eyes to reduce glare. But now there's kind of a trend where some athletes will just will smear the eye black down their cheeks almost to look like war paint. And so that's the look that he was going for. And so he did that. There was no disruption at the game. Nobody said any ne- anything negative to him. But then about a week later, the principal uh, pulled the student and his parents into a meeting and said, we're suspending you for wearing blackface, uh, which is just absurd. Um, because if you look at the student's face and then you look at athletes, like I'm sure your listeners will know Jalen Hurts, uh, Bryce Harper, they, they wear, they wear uh, eye black in kind of the same style. Um, it has nothing to do with blackface. It has nothing to do with mocking or ridiculing black people unless you think that's what Jalen Hurts is doing. Um, so it, it was just an absurd case. It's just an absurd mischaracterization of what the student was doing. There was no disruption of any school activities, which is the standard that schools have to show in order to justify punishment of student speech. But unfortunately, you have a lot of uh, K-12 administrators out there who think that they can just punish students for anything that they or other people find offensive, and that's actually not the way it works. Uh, uh, This raid of a a newspaper by this small-town police department, Marion County, uh, this was amazing. And, and as, as you guys put it, it would make the, the founders' blood boil here. It's Marion, Kansas. Uh, together with the help of a magistrate judge, they cobbled together a search warrant to invade the offices of a family-owned newspaper because they didn't like the, the newspaper had dirt in a political ally, not to mention the paper's investigations into alleged misconduct by the police chief. Uh, so they went in there and they seized computers. They ripped a reporter's cell phone out of her hand. They rummaged around the home of a 98-year-old co-owner of the paper. Uh, and then she actually passed away the next day. She was she was in shock. I mean, I'm not saying that necessarily was you know a correlation here, but she did die the next day. Um, and and it, w- what happened here was, was awful. But the good news, though, is that there were ramifications for this shameful attack on the First Amendment. Yeah, I mean, th- this incident had just all the hallmarks of a classic case of government officials using the power of the state to to try and intimidate their critics into silence. You know, it, 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 it just so happened, right, that the paper had investigated allegations of misconduct against the police chief and that the info on their computers uh, included people who had made those allegations. So it, it, that looks pretty suspicious, right? And, yeah, these, these tactics are, are really chill reporting, Um and, uh, you know, free, a free press has always been a thorn in the side of government officials. That's kind of the point. You know, now, that, that's, that's not to say that 
the press uh, isn't immune from criticism for, for, for showing bias, bias reporting, uh, or unfair coverage. That's all fine, and, and political leaders are free to use their bully pulpits to criticize that, but this was something much different. You know, this was uh, raiding a newsroom. It's just straight out of the authoritarian playbook. And the chief resigned. Good. Good riddance. I mean, and that's right. Outrageous. Yeah. Uh, there's another story here. And this is, you know, something we've talked about a lot, Aaron Turr, and that is the, uh, the medical community. You know, you're told to toe the party line or shut the hell up. And we've seen this through COVID. We've seen this with a lot of different things. The Mayo Clinic College of Medical Science punished a medical professor by the name of Michael Joyner for sharing his expertise and research. Tell us about that. That's right. So Michael Joyner, he has a long and distinguished career. He's been at the Mayo Clinic for, I think, about three decades. Uh, and major media outlets often seek out his expertise on a whole uh, variety of medical issues. But when he recently offered this commentary on convalescent plasma treatments for COVID uh, and research on sex differences in athletic performance, Mayo Clinic decided to, to suspend him for not sticking to, quote, prescribed messaging uh, and reflecting poorly on their brand and reputation. They also criticized him for using idiomatic language, which, uh, which is just kind of weird, um, and then put a gag order on him so now he, so he can't speak to the media even in his personal capacity without prior approval. Uh, and I think Mayo Clinic here really said the quiet part out loud when they told him that his comments hurt their brand and reputation. That just kind of sums up the problem with so many institutions of higher education that they act more like corporations than institutions dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge. Um, and that leads them to devalue free speech and academic freedom because they're more worried about students and faculty saying things that might cause controversy and hurt the brand than they are with the pursuit of knowledge and truth. Yeah, it's kind of, it reminds me of what uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson has been going through in Canada. It, very, very similar to that as well. Uh, book censors, next on the list from the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. Book censors, legislators and publishers bravely protect American people from dangerous children's authors like Mark Twain, Roald Dahl, and R.L. Stein. I, you know, I, I read this recently that I, if you own a digital version of something, a movie or a book, the publisher has the right to edit that even though it's your property because you have it in digital form. So the advice I always give to people is if you love something, like, for example, like one of my favorite movies of all time is Animal House. I know at some point that movie will be banned. I have a physical DVD copy of that, and I'm never letting it go because I don't want them doing anything. And they can actually go in and edit this stuff even though it's your property. You own it. You bought it. But the license that you agreed to with all these services says at any point the publisher can go in and make updates. And so you might go into your Kindle one day and start reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and realize that they've canceled the Oompa Loompas because they've offended somebody. <laughs> exactly. I think that's great advice to keep stuff in, in physical form. Uh, my brother has a huge DVD collection. I actually still have a DVD player myself. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I now I don't have any plans to get rid of it. But yeah, this phenomenon of publishers uh, sanitizing classic books uh, to make sure they don't have problematic language and doing it without the author's consent. I mean, it's really, it's kind of just gross. And, um, and you, yeah, you have to see some of these changes to believe them. I mean, Penguin edited a bunch of Roald Dahl's books. In, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, there was a line that read, Augustus was deaf to everything except the call of his enormous stomach. And they changed it to, Augustus was ignoring everything. You know, another paragraph uh, because it talked about a character playing with a toy toy pistols, 
Um, and then I think one, of, and another one of my personal favorites was from the witches. So in that story, the witches wear wigs and gloves to hide the fact that they're bald and have claws. And there was a line in the original that said, you can't go around pulling the hair of every lady you meet, even if she's wearing gloves, just you try it and see what happens. And they changed that to, well, there are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, how did they change To Kill a Mockingbird out of curiosity? Or did they change I, I, that? Or did they, they just change To Kill a Mockingbird? I don't, I don't, oh, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, I don't know that they changed anything in that, but, but that book has always been a target um, of censors because for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, it contains racial slurs, um, right. and... There's also always been this kind of objection to To Kill a Mockingbird that it promotes a white savior narrative. Um, so there have been attempts to remove it uh, from from libraries for that reason. Also, doesn't it also now um, a kind of uh, un- undercut the Believe All Women narrative? <laughs> How so? Well, I've heard that, you know, because obviously she, she fakes the rape, right? I mean, she, she makes it Oh, up, oh I see. You know, so I, I mean, I, I at one point I had heard that they wanted to cancel that book because it she lies about the rape, and therefore, you know, that book undermines the idea that oh, you're that's... supposed to believe all women. That was actually a legitimate thing I, I, I read once. So, um, all right, let's move over. Speaking of women, San, Fr- San Francisco State University, they um, we're going to have Riley Gaines come and speak. Riley Gaines has been an outspoken advocate of protecting the rights of women in athletics, and she is very much opposed to the idea of letting transgender men compete against women in women's sports and so she was going to speak there and what happened they shut it down but then you guys intervened yeah while she was speaking there were uh protesters who were repeatedly disrupting the event by stomping and yelling inside the room in the hallway uh, immediately outside and then after the speech um she the police had to escort her from the room uh, and the crowd followed her and accosted her in the hallway uh, to the point that the police actually had to lock her in a secure room for almost three hours until things uh, died down. Um, and so, yeah, this is this is one of the worst examples we've seen recently of the, the heckler's veto, which is, uh, you know, a term for when uh, people who are opposed to a speaker disrupt the speech, try to prevent them from speaking through the use of force, to just creating a lot of noise, pulling a fire alarm, blocking entrances, um, anything like that. And this has been one of the the problems, uh, trends, uh, censorship trends that we've seen rising on campus in recent years. Um, and it's really, it's a form of mob censorship. It's not itself a form of free speech. You can protest, uh, you know, non-disruptively. That's totally within your free speech rights. But when you prevent someone else from speaking, that's mob censorship. And unfortunately, we have recent data showing that 63% of students think that shouting down a campus speaker uh, is acceptable in at least some circumstances and about a quarter think that even violence can be an acceptable response in some in some circumstances the amount of young people who support hate speech laws is terrifying to me it really it really is truly terrifying uh for the sake of time aaron tour we'll jump ahead to the lifetime censorship award that the foundation for individual rights and expression has given the 2024 lifetime censorship award goes to harvard university <laughs> Yay, Harvard! Yeah. Woohoo! Maybe, maybe not a huge surprise. Um, I think it was a long time coming for Harvard. They finished dead last in Fire's free speech rankings this year with the lowest score ever recorded. Uh, students reported low administrative support for free speech, low comfort expressing ideas, 
about a third of Harvard students, uh, more than a national average, think that using violence to stop a campus speech is at least uh, sometimes acceptable. Uh, and the, yeah, like you, you mentioned earlier, the whole nation saw former President uh, Claudine Gay go before Congress and claim Harvard is committed to free speech, but the university's track record uh, says something different. Um, you know, uh, most recently, Harvard hired uh, a defamation law firm to threaten the New York Post with a lawsuit and, quote, immense damages uh, if the paper published a story alleging that uh, Claudine Gay had plagiarized some of her uh, scholarship. Of course, weeks later, we all found out that Gay had resigned after more than 40 plagiarism allegations had surfaced. So it turns out it was all true. Um, and uh, I could just go down a whole laundry list of, of other incidents at Harvard. They they drove out lecturer Carol Hooven for arguing that uh, biological sex uh, sex categories are, are real and meaningful. Um, they rescinded a fellowship to the Human Rights Watch executive director, Kenneth Roth, over his supposed anti-Israel bias. Uh, they fired Professor Ronald Sullivan from his position as a dean after students protested him for uh, um his role on Harvey Weinstein's criminal defense team and, and gay had a, had a role in that too. You know, rather than respect Sullivan's constitutional role as a defense attorney, she cited student outrage as evidence that more quote, more work must be done to uphold our commitment to the well-being of, a, of our students, which apparently in her view was incompatible with the, the right to, to a lawyer and the right to a fair trial. Um, Harvard canceled a professor's course on policing uh, following student uproar, uh, there's, there's, you know, that I'm actually only naming like a fraction of of the cases over the past few years. There's just a lot um, that's that's happened at Harvard, and they really were overdue, I think, for a lifetime censorship award. But we're uh, happy to finally give them the recognition they deserve. We could probably do a whole show on just how much Harvard sucks in this category. Aaron Joe, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. Keep up the great work at Fire, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. You can see the full list at thefire.org. Thanks, my friend. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. The Rich Zioli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. All right, so the uh, – uh, what was I going to say now? we got a lot to talk about before we go. Oh, Trump. Yes, Trump had his big town hall meeting last night. I got a lot of audio clips for you on that. And uh, COVID. They're still saying now COVID did not come from a lab. Yes, Dr. Paul Offit is still claiming that BS, so I'm going to share that with you as well as uh, we continue along the show here today. The big story of the day, though, is, uh, is still the political – uh, landscape as we head into the South Carolina primary. The big story brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. Uh, and that's also our sponsor for the segment because Dr. Mike is a great guy, a great friend, and he is my dentist. Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. I'm telling you, if you need a new smile, you want to go see him today. Go see him now. He'll give you the smile you deserve. Beautiful, beautiful work. And Dr. Mike will make sure that you're happy because he's committed to care. That's why for 10 years in a row, he has been named a top dentist in South Jersey by his peers. And he has two offices to serve you, Cinnaminson and Woodbury. That's right, right over the bridge. Dr. Mike is the master of dental implants, the master of complicated dental work. If you've already had an estimate, go see him for a second opinion. You'll be glad you did. 
And you'll love the whole staff is great. The music playing is wonderful. And everybody is dedicated to your smile. And you deserve a great smile because a great smile says so much about who you are. So don't wait. Go see him today. VenariaDental.com. My dentist, my friend, and the master of dental implants, Dr. Mike Venaria. VenariaDental.com. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. You know, I mentioned earlier to you, as we were talking about the question of um, our kids, are they depressed and is social media to blame as part of the problem? And Henry, you said you liked that interview. You got a lot out of that. Yeah, I thought it was well-informed. I thought it was a really good piece. I don't, I, it's something I'm interested in always hearing, like, what what is causing kids to be a little sadder nowadays? What do you think it is? I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think social media helps, but I, I, I don't know. It's it's. I feel like there's a lack of just something to work towards you know it, it like the future like if you watch the news it's always about you know doom and gloom and it's like well what am i what do i care what am i doing anything for anyway anyway interesting interesting so they're uh they're, they're getting bummed out by the state of the world yeah i, I hmm. think that plays a factor in it i mean i i think yeah like she said i mean there's a lot of factors at play here and i think that's one of them social media can be one of them all those things well, here is a, um, a, a, a clip from NBC News. They had the American Academy of Pediatrics, and they were talking about how fat kids, and I was one, so I can say that, you know, I wore the husky jeans. I did. I wore the husky jeans. My problem was jello pudding pies, and Mama Zioli would always let me have an after-school snack, and it was never healthy. And I would also carb out on the weekends, obviously. Italian, you know, a lot of bread, a lot of pasta. I was a fat kid. So I lost weight. I had to get in shape. And a big part of the reason was because I got, um, well, now they call it bullied, but I just, my friends would make jokes, you know. <laughs> like, yo, you got man boobs, you know. And that would motivate me to get in shape. Now I can't do that anymore. So, because kids are not allowed. So now a lot of kids who are heavy don't even know they're heavy. You know what I mean? Because nobody tells them that they're heavy because you can't make jokes, can't can't because that's bullying now. I hear you. I hear you 100% on that. I agree. So I was clearly tubby, and my friends would let me know I was tubby, and I did something about it. But now we're just trying to get kids hooked on drugs. So we're, we get we, we serve them terrible food that's bad for them, and then we, we bulk them up. We don't let them go outside. We do all these things, and then we have a drug for that. And now we want kids to start using this stuff as early as 12 years old. Take a listen. More than 20% of 12 to 19-year-olds are considered obese. Obesity specialists say these meds, along with a healthy lifestyle, can be used preventatively to tackle excess weight before it leads to other health conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and high blood pressure. Which is why the American Academy of Pediatrics now recommends weight loss drugs be offered to those as young as 12. Dr. Amanda Velasquez is the director of obesity medicine at Cedar sinai Medical Center and a paid consultant for weight loss drug makers Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. What do you say to people who say 12 is too young to put a child on a weight loss medication? Yeah, I think that it's about education for the family because I think there's a lot of perception about using the medication about a, for really appearances. That's not what we're here to do. What we're here to do is help to your patient, a 12-year-old, be healthy. 
There you go. Yeah, it's fine. 12 years old, just start getting them hooked on Big Pharma now, and then as opposed to getting outside and, you know, getting in shape and losing weight. All right, listen, we got a big 5 o'clock hour coming up. Donald Trump's town hall meeting. we got a lot of great audio for you. I'll tell you what it all means heading into South Carolina. Who he's thinking for VP, what that means. we got 30 minutes of nonstop talk coming up for you. And I want to thank again my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile. You deserve a great smile. VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A. We'll be right back. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The Revolution will... This is the next generation of talk. Now, this is the drive at 530 minutes of non-stop talk with Rich Zioli. They are hell-bent on prosecuting Julian Assange for criticizing the CIA. That's right. We'll talk about that. The United States Justice Department, that's, that's the one you know, they need to drop the charges against him. I'll get into more detail with you with that. Mayor Adams in New York is giving migrants, migrants, legal immigrants, a $10,000 debit card. And uh, government is snooping on your phone and your car. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 30 minutes of nonstop talk for you. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Thanks for being here. We've got a lot to chat about today. And uh, I'm grateful that you're here. Last night, former President Donald Trump, the once and future president, Donald Trump, talked about a number of different things on a town hall meeting he did in South Carolina. The first question was, is this going to be your revenge tour? I've told you it's Donald Trump, the revenge, like Jaws 2, the revenge. This time it's personal. This is what President Trump said regarding revenge. Cut number one. Than any like the question about score settling, a lot, a lot of women, you know, they don't, a lot of women voters, they don't like the name calling. They don't like the score settling. They just, they love your policies and they just want Trump's policies, maybe not so much of the other stuff. So I think that's what the, the question, well, no, if but, you don't mind my asking, I think that's what she's getting Well, at. But, I, but also you want to say, how do you get together? We're going to get together through success. When this country, the country was at a level that we've never, we had the best employment numbers in history. Everything was good. And this country was coming together. Then we got hit with COVID. But this country came together. Uh, I don't care about the revenge thing. I know they usually usually use the word revenge. Will there be revenge? Uh, My revenge will be success. My revenge will be success. I like that answer, actually. It's a very, very good answer. Uh, he did really well last night. I thought he was on point. I thought he was, uh, he was very solid. He's, he does well in those, in those, that's his element, you know, with a crowd of people and everything. That's his, that's his element. So who's on the VP shortlist? Is he, uh, distracting us with these names or will one of these people be the actual choice to be his running mate? Cut number two. The audience has uh, been asked who they think would be a good choice, and various names came up. Um, uh, one of them was, of course, Vivek Ramaswamy. Yep. He's made a big splash. Ron DeSantis, who's made in, making an appearance today in South Carolina, we just found out. Um, obviously, Tim Scott, Byron Donalds, and a, a big uh, presence here for Tulsi Gabbard. Um, very interesting. Um, our, and Christy Nome as well, I should say. Right. Our, our, 
are they all on your short list? And when can you when can we expect that you will announce your choice? The one thing that always surprises me is that the VP choice has absolutely no impact. It's whoever the president is. It just seems uh, I remember when Sarah Palin was actually picked and she did have a big up. And then uh, they just went after her at a level that nobody seen. The Republicans themselves went after what they did. But you'll be a one term president because you've already served. Yeah. So you can only serve for one term, although they say you'll never leave office. I assume uh, yeah, that you'll do. never leave. There'll never be an ele- another say, election. Don't again. do it. He'll never leave. He's yeah. never going. Oh, these people. They uh- now, I don't think he's ever going to leave. I do. I think he's going to chain himself to the desk. But beside the point, uh, he did say those people on the list. Of of that of those people on the list, I, I think Christy Nome has the best chance. I based on everything that I that I, I I'm thinking. The question I have though for you, Henry, is what is more likely: Donald Trump picking Tulsi Gabbard as his running mate? Or Matt DeSantis getting Tulsi Gabbard back on the show. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to side with uh, Trump on this one. I think uh, he's a little more persuasive than Mr. DeSantis is. Yeah. So basically, the 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 likelihood of her being Trump's VP pick, which is not good, is still better than the likelihood of Matt DeSantis getting her back on the show. Yeah. Bingo. Right on. Right on the head. I, I don't think yeah. it'll ever happen. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, of course, Tim Scott, though, is certainly on the short list. No doubt about it. I, I, look, I mean, it's not going to be Tulsi Gabbard. It's just it's not her 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 positions on guns. I I love Tulsi Gabbard. I do. I really do. I am very fond of her. But I disagree with her on a lot of different things, economics and guns. And she's come. She's had a 180 on a many a lot of things. And you can't hold it against her that she was a Democrat. Reagan was a Democrat. Trump was a Democrat. I mean, people evolve. It's OK. But there's still some positions that make me nervous. It's like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. There's some positions that he has that makes me very nervous. His stance on climate change, for example. Um, Byron Donalds is, is, is awesome. It's great. But Trump's going to win Florida. Um, Donalds would be would be great. I mean, uh, but again, I, you have to remember something. You're not going to get any credit with the corporate media for picking somebody because they're black, because the, the media is going to immediately turn around and say that they're actually white. You know, Uncle Tim Scott's been called Uncle Tim his entire career. They'll go after Byron Donalds and say he actually is a is a self-hating black man. You know, I mean, they'll do all that nonsense. So you, you, you can't do it for that reason because you think it's going to help you with the media. Now, does it help you with, with the black community? I don't, it may. I don't know. I, possible. I don't think people think about in that context. I, I don't. I, I don't think so. I think they think about who could do the job in case Trump can. And I disagree with Trump on the sense of him saying it doesn't matter. I think this election it does because of the fact that, look, you know, he's 80. He's going to be 80. And, you know, Biden's uh, 86 going on 152. And I think it does matter thinking of who may have to take over. I would be fine if Byron Donalds had to take over. I'd be fine if Tim Scott had to take over. I'd be a little nervous on Tim Scott about some of the foreign policy stuff. I think sometimes he tends to kind of toe the old school GOP line on American involvement in foreign places. Um, that makes me a little nervous. Vivek is not, it's not going to happen. It's just not. I mean, I, I think Vivek has a lot to offer. He'd be great in the cabinet. He'd be great in other ways. But so of that list, I think Christy Nome is probably the most likely. Or Tim Scott. I think those are probably the two that I think are most like. I've heard Sarah Sarah Huckabee Sanders' name brought up. Um, I don't think picking a woman gets you women voters. I don't think picking a black guy gets you black voters. I just I don't think people think that way. I, th- I think that it's 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 foolish to think that. I'm, I'm if an Italian was running as a Democrat, 
Like, if Andrew Cuomo was running, I'm not voting for him. Even though he's Italian, I'm still not voting for him. I mean, I, 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 the only reason I ever would would be just for the, jo- the pure joy of having him as president for four years for me to make fun of. But that's not enough of a reason, and I love my country too much. I am a selfish person, but I'm not that selfish. So even though I have four years of the love president to just mock and my job would be so easy, I still can't do that to America. So I don't think that that whole thing matters. I think people look past all that, despite what we're brainwashed into believing that we only see color and we only see gender and everything else. He did single out Tim Scott last night, though. Cut number three. Um, When Biden ran, he pledged he was going to pick a female vice president in 2020. What qualities are you looking for in your vice presidential pick? Well, always the first quality has to be somebody that you think will be a good president, because if something should happen, you have to have somebody that's going to be a great president. A lot of people are talking about that gentleman right over there. Tim Scott. And he's been he's been so great. He's been such a great advocate. I, I have to say, I don't this is in a very positive way. Tim Scott, he has been much better for me than he was for himself. I watched his campaign and he doesn't like talking about himself. But boy, does he talk about Trump. And I said, you know, I called him. I said, Tim, you're better for me than you were for yourself. But he's fantastic. And he's a fantastic person. Uh, so no, someone, I who want can somebody step in. That can someone who can step into the role. Most importantly, you have to view that. The, um. All right. So I think, you know, obviously he offers there's a lot that he offers. And um, but don't. But again, and I don't think Trump thinks that way. So I'm not worried about that. And I don't think we do. I don't think that picking somebody just because they're a woman or just because they're black or just because they're a black woman. I mean, that's the kind of crap Democrats do. It's not what Republicans do. You pick the best person for the job. And who also who you think can help you get votes and also who you think would be a good representative for you on the campaign trail, because let's face it, that person's going to be out there campaigning a lot. And the scrutiny around that is going to affect the president so or the presidential candidate. He also talked about Biden and how Biden's declined. So let's skip over to number five, Henry. Biden's uh, diminished, no question about it. And, you know, Trump doesn't hold back on this stuff. And I'm glad he doesn't, because the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, Biden's hiding his own Easter eggs. You imagine these two debating. Can you imagine Joe Biden debating Donald Trump at this point? I, ca- I cannot. I can't imagine Biden getting on that debate stage. The things that he would say, the things that would come out of Biden's mouth, he's I've told you for a long time. That whole image of him as Mr. Nice Guy, you know, the kind old man in the basement, that was all BS. He's a nasty SOB. He's been a nasty SOB his entire political career. And he says stupid things, and they will not let him on that debate stage. I'm telling you right now, that will not happen. I don't think he's going to be the nominee anyway, but anyway, this is what Trump said about Biden cut five. Well, she's made it. She and Biden have like almost in a way, some would say team up together. They're Biden's people to say, look, if you're going to complain about age, Trump's age, Trump's demeanor, Trump makes mistakes, forgets names. She's trying to equate Biden's decline, which is fairly obvious, with you for being, you know, 77. Well, he's uh, he's declined and there's no question about it. But he was always sort of semi declined. If you go back 25 years. (laughs) No, but he was not one of the smarter people. He's tried to be president many times, four times at least that they know of. And all of a sudden, when he's most diminished, this is when he hit and he he did it. But uh, if you look at me, I feel and I really mean this. And I would tell you, and I think you tell me, too, because we've known each other a long time. If I was if I felt diminished, okay, let's use a nice term. If I felt 
diminished or declined any any way, I think I'd know it. And I think I'd say, I'm not running. Somebody should talk to him. But if he runs, he runs. Uh, he doesn't seem to be. I heard you say that he's very persistent and he probably is. I think most stubborn. people, I, I think that most people that run would be stubborn or persistent and, you know, just not want to uh, give up the ghost. But, uh, you know, we have a nation to run. We have a nation that has to survive. We have nuclear weapons and the likes of which, and you don't even want to know about it, the most powerful weapons in the history of the world, so powerful that you don't even want to talk about them. And we have him negotiating for us. And in his best years, he couldn't have negotiated. Well, now he has no clue what's happening. And I know Putin very well. And I know President Xi of China. I know them all. Kim Jong-un, I know very well. I did a great job with him. Do you think they'd prefer... Now, Biden is, in my opinion, I think the worst in terms of what Democrats can put up right now. I hope they keep him. Don't get me wrong. I do. I just don't see it. I don't see it. Uh, Trump was asked about Nikki Haley, of course, as he's about to win bigly in her home state of South Carolina. Cut number six. Many of the same politicians who now publicly embrace Trump privately dread him. They know what a disaster he's been and will continue to be for our party. Some people used to say I was running because I really wanted to be vice president. I think I've pretty well settled that question. Has she settled that question? Well, I settled it about three months ago. <laughs> and look, it's, uh, she's not working. She's here. She's down by 30, 35 points. And everybody knows her. You're not supposed to lose your home state. Shouldn't happen anyway. And she's losing it big. big. I mean, really, uh, I said big Lee and big Lee. <laughs> Bigly, but we're gonna we're gonna really do a job. I think that, uh, as you know, when we went to Iowa, we got the biggest margin in the history of the caucus. The biggest. That's a long time. Why do you think we, she's staying in the race? Um, I don't think she knows how to get out. Actually, uh, I really don't. She did terribly in New Hampshire. She got mo- the only vote she but got she has was from Democrats. a lot of money Democrats. behind her. What do they think they're? Well, they're out? trying to hurt me because of the general election. So the Democrats are giving her money, and she's playing into the game. And I think she just can't get she just can't get herself to get out. Uh, she's doing poorly in the polls. Look, if she was doing well, I'd understand it. But she's doing very poorly. She lost uh, in record numbers in Iowa, record numbers in New Hampshire, uh, Nevada. Uh, no name beat uh, no name we had no name you know uh there's a story out today henry this is why i've talked about my backup plan you know in case the radio thing doesn't work out and more and more in life i think you need to have a backup plan especially in this business i got into radio because stagecoach wasn't hiring anyway uh my second career of course my fourth fifth career i've done a lot of different things in my life as a filmmaker you know, and I've come up with a number of great ideas for movies. But my favorite of all the ideas is Cocaine White House Dogs, which is a spinoff of Cocaine Bear. And it's going to be a huge, huge hit. There's a breaking news story just came out on CNN. Biden's dog commander bit Secret Service personnel at least 24 times henry 24 times cocaine white house dog struck and bit the united states secret service this movie is going to be huge (laughs) seriously i mean are you going to portray the dog as the hero or the villain at this point i think the hero don't you (laughs) 
No, the victim. I mean, look, it, remember there was that story there was cocaine at the White House. They didn't know whose it was. Right. Well, it, the poor dog sniffed the cocaine. He thought it was sawdust. <laughs> and lo and behold, he went crazy and started biting people. The dog is the victim. He is the he is the innocent one here. Poor commander. Cocaine White House dog is going to be huge. But according to this story, there were 24 different instances of United States Secret Service Presidential Protective Division um, having the dog bite them in lots of different times. And it was 270 pages of documents heavily redacted to protect U.S. Secret Service personnel. And it started back in October of 2022 when an unnamed Secret Service technician described an incident and said they were worried about the family pet's behavior escalating and that something worse was going to happen to others. Members of the Secret Service's Uniform Division, members of the President's Protective Detail, and other USSS officials, they took place inside and outside of the White House residence, but also at the Biden family homes in Wilmington and Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and Camp David, and in Nantucket, Massachusetts. The Biden family dog is a monster, but it's not his fault because he sniffed Hunter's cocaine and went crazy. Cocaine White House dogs. Imagine being the poor soul that has to type up 270 pages of incidents where the dog has bitten somebody. Right? (laughs) One email description of a July 29th, 2023 incident, one of the more severe outlined in the documents, it reveals the seriousness of the problem. An unnamed special agent from the Presidential Protective Division's counter-surveillance unit was providing security coverage in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. As the agent walked to a backyard security post, the agent heard Commander start to bark, but he did not realize Commander was loose and off the leash. In the background, the Secret Service agent heard the voice of what was believed to be the FLOTUS, the First Lady of the United States, Dr. You always have to say that by law, Dr. Jill Biden, yelling. Commander ran toward the direction of the Secret Service, bit the agent in the forearm, causing a severe, deep, open wound. As a result of the attack, the Secret Service agent started to lose a significant amount of blood from his arm. He was treated on site by the White House Medical Unit, received six stitches to his left forearm and antibiotics for the wound. And there was another incident. October 2nd, 2022, an agent was bitten on the forearm while holding the door open in the area between the West Wing and the residence. That incident involved President Joe Biden. Commander and POTUS were entering the palm room through the West Colonnade. Commander came in first, circled back and grabbed my left arm. He then stood up and backed down. He is literally my height standing up. POTUS entered shortly after since he was trailing behind him. POTUS entered the palm room and said something redacted. And uh, the agent raised workplace safety concerns, saying they were subsequently concerned about him getting out of the residence or being out without a leash for other safety and mine. There was another incident in the White House grounds where the dog lunged to bite but missed before the First Lady grabbed the leash. In November of 2022, the dog grabbed a uniform division officer's right arm and he had to have the arm treated at the hospital. And it goes on and on. The cocaine White House dog was out of control. But he's since left the, the White House, I guess. But... Um, there you go. I really want to know what he said when he saw the dog you know, attacking a Secret Service member. I really Probably want to know said, what he said. Go get him, boy. Yeah. What are you doing to my dog? Something like that. Like yeah, not even realizing. Yeah, blame the agent. You had it coming. 
Good boy, Commander. Good boy. You know the Secret Service hates Biden anyway. They got to watch him walk up the short stairs. You know what I mean? And watch him trip up the short stairs. His dog's biting him all the time. They hate the guy. I'm telling you, they hate him. Do you remember that time where they, he had that, there was that, um, they were loading him into the SUV. There was a car crash, like across the street. Yeah. And they took their sweet time getting him back into the SUV. <laughs> like, normally you just rush him in. They, like, took their time. His head was all exposed. I think they hate the guy. I mean, you'd hate him, too, if his dog was going around biting you and your friends. Yeah, it's a hostile work environment. Yeah, dog's biting all the Secret Service agents. I'd hate him. I'm surprised one of the guys didn't shoot the dog. <laughs> But I'm not suggesting that they should have, because, again, the dog's the victim. It's not his fault. Cocaine, White House, dog. Maybe that'll be the uh, the climax of the movie when they start shooting at the dog, like one rogue Secret Service member. He's like, I've had enough. Well, here's another plot twist. As a friend of mine on the uh, Philadelphia Police Department points out, how come the dog only bites cops? Maybe the dog is a defund the police dog. Have you ever thought about Ooh. that? You know that they have police dogs. What if it's a defund the police dog? Interesting. Defund the canine police. Doing the work from the inside. Right. And this dog is anti-cop. It's a cop-hating dog. I'm just throwing it out there. You know, you hear police dogs. That could be that could be the sequel. Police hating dogs or defund the police dogs. Oh, that's a, I like that. I like that movie title better. Defund the police dogs. And it's all about the dogs that hate cops and go out there and bite cops. Uh, because they're trying to get police dogs to be defunded. I like this plot. This is another... I'm a genius. I'm telling you, this is going to be a blockbuster. This is the new Airbud. <laughs> we're all going to a whole rich. franchise here. Got a whole movie franchise. Cocaine White House dogs and defund the police dogs. I love it. It's going to be great. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Uh, a CNN reporter <clears throat> claims that Biden told his campaign to highlight the crazy S that Trump says in public. What about the crazy S that Biden says in public? But according to now, uh, this is um, reporter MJ Lee, who was behind the network's report in 2018 that claimed Senator Bernie Sanders told America's mother-in-law, Elizabeth Warren, that a woman couldn't win the presidency. Um, he made the remarks. Uh, cut number eight. Yeah, Brianna, what we've learned is that President Biden himself personally instructed some of his top campaign aides to be even more aggressive in highlighting some of President Trump's uh, more inflammatory and wild comments. Uh, we are told that the thrust of the president's direction was to significantly ramp up the campaign's efforts to highlight the crazy shit that Trump says. What? We didn't dump that, Matt DeSantis. He didn't edit that, huh, Henry? I, I thought I thought CNN would edit it. That's on you would TV. think so, right? It's on TV. Man. Um, Sharon Kay wants to know, where's Matt? Matt is apparently driving back to Philadelphia. So I guess the equipment... We're down in D.C. CPAC starts tomorrow. We're going to be live on Radio Row tomorrow and Friday. But we brought equipment down, and I get, we tested it in the studio yesterday, and it worked, but now it's not working. So he's got to go back to Philly to get new equipment to oh, come is, back. Is that what happened? Because he texted me... Uh, explaining he was frustrated. I didn't, I didn't get a response after that. Yeah. I feel bad he's got to go back. But yeah, that's I mean, terrible. What are going to do? I mean, what, you know, I mean, he said it's an S show over there, too. I'm at WMAL in D.C. They're Westwood One. They're kind enough to let me use a studio here. 
but I'll be heading over to the Gaylord Hotel later tonight. It's the name of the hotel, the Gaylord. <laughs> Makes me laugh. I don't know why. You're I'm a child. <laughs> yeah, a child. Basically, I have a seven-year-old sense of humor. And then um, there's a big reception tonight I'll be going to with Ambassador Richard Grinnell and Gordon Chang's going to be there and Carlos Sands and Nigel Farage. you meet some cool people there. Anyway, I thought DeSantis was going to be my wingman, but, you know, he's heading back to Philly, so... He's got to get new equipment and, I guess, drive back to D.C. So that blows. You know, that stinks. That blows. Speaking of cocaine, uh, my car says, let's do a, ch- a quick social media check-in on Cherry by our friends at Cherry Hill Volvo. Johnny Cook wants to know, did Commander sniff the cocaine off the tail of a Russian wolfhound? Great question. Johnny, I think he thought it was sawdust. That's what I think. Uh, my car says the redacted comment was that dog is so high on Hunter on Hunter's cocaine. Oh my god! <laughs> Can you imagine that if that's what the redacted comment was? As the, <laughs> as the dog is biting the Secret Service agent, the president turns around and goes, "Damn it, Hunter! That dog got your blow again." Yeah, <laughs> he's like yelling up the stairs. And Hunter's in his bedroom. Damn it, Hunter! <laughs> Uh, Paul DiBartolo says, Rich, uh, Joe Biden said to the agent attacked by commander, I don't work for you, you lying dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs> Very good. Well done. I like it. Keep the comments going. And thanks to our friends at Cherry Hill Volvo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill because relationships matter and they know our relationship on social media matters. So play along, kids. Play along at home with the Zioli Show home version. I have this idiotic clip here I want to play for you. Now, this is a... This clip, where is it now? Hopefully this is no curse words in it. Now I feel like we got to screen everything. An MSNBC guest claimed on Monday that white people, white people, had stolen every form of music in existence, with the exception of classical music. Stolen it, of course, from black people. The Daily Show correspondent Dulce Sloan weighed in on the topic, responding to critics who had suggested Beyonce's upcoming country album after a lengthy career in hip-hop and pop music, was a step outside her proscribed lane. Cut 16. I don't know if you saw our last block. We were talking about the conservative outcry over Beyonce's upcoming country album. One stop it, this stop it, stop it, stop it, stop. There's no conservative outcry over Beyonce's upcoming country album. No one cares. No one cares. No one gives a damn. And there's no conservative outcry. This is a fugazi. I have not heard one single person outcry about Beyonce having a country album. Not one. Who There's no conservative outcry over this. No one gives a damn. Believe me, I got a lot of other things to worry about in my life than Beyonce doing a country album. Who complains about and Beyonce I love anyway? Music. What's that? Who complains about Beyonce anyway? Everyone loves Beyonce. Who cares? No one is complaining about her doing a country music. The only thing I would complain about is if she started covering Frank Sinatra. And the only reason why is because I don't like anybody covering Frank Sinatra. Fair. I don't like anyone covering Frank Sinatra. Can I just get that off my chest? Please, tell the world. I just did. <laughs> I don't think anyone should be allowed by law to cover Frank Sinatra. Ever. That's the only thing I complained about. But where's the conservative outrage? Have you seen any conservative outrage over Beyonce doing a, a country album? No, I don't see any outrage, period. Per- period. Period. So that is what we call a fugazi. That's a fugazi. No one cares. It's just like the same time that there was all this fake outrage over when, what's his name, did uh, Fast Car? Uh, Luke the, Combs. 
Luke Combs did Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, and there was all this fake outrage over that, that he was, he was uh, I don't know, appropriating a, a black lesbian song or some nonsense like that. Tracy Chapman had no problem with it. She was getting paid, and she did the song with Luke Combs, obviously, a couple weeks ago at the Grammys. It was a fake manufactured controversy. This is also a fake manufactured controversy. No one cares. Believe me, conservatives have a lot to gripe about right now. Believe me. But the last thing on our list, and I speak for all conservatives right now, the last thing on the list is Beyonce doing a country music album. That's the bottom of a, that's not even on the list. That's not even, I wouldn't even put that on a list if there was a list. I'd be like, you just leave that off the list completely. That's not even worth going on the list. Forget being at the bottom of it. Anyway, sorry. Go back to that, please. I don't know if you saw our last block. We were talking about the conservative outcry over Beyonce's upcoming country album. One could joke this whole affair illustrates uh, that the far right actually really hates cultural appropriation. But black people have always been a part of folk and country music. You want to weigh in on that? If white people hated cultural appropriation, then they shouldn't have created music. Because every form of music in America was stolen from black people. Rock and roll, jazz, blues, country pop music. So if you have a problem with cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. y'all created classical music. Y'all could have stuck with that. <laughs> Roll the piano in this concert. You see what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, it only applies to the fact that, well, we don't like this thing. We can't steal this thing. Right. Listen, we keep showing up. We keep showing up and we keep doing well. Y'all let us do gymnastics. You saw what happened. Y'all let us do golf. You saw what happened. Now we in tennis. Listen, when we start messing with the Winter Olympics, it is over for y'all. I, apologize, I don't apologize for the inconvenience. Stop letting us do your sports. Calm down. So it's like, of course you want to be upset. You're literally running out of quarterbacks. Right. So it can't be it's a conservative outcry. Y'all have nothing else to be yeah. mad about. That's all it is. Because if you want to be upset about something, gun control. You have all the time to fix that, but you wouldn't be mad at a Beyonce album? Girl, nobody think about them. They sound stupid. (laughs) Nobody is mad about Beyonce doing a stupid country music album. Amy, Princess of Profanity, says, am I crazy or is Rich drinking? I swear I am not drinking. I wish I was drinking, but I'm not drinking. I have not had a drop to drink. I drove to D.C. I'm doing the show from WMAL. There's no booze here whatsoever. I'm in a great mood because the show ends at 6 tonight because of basketball, and I'm going to go to CPAC and always have fun there. But no, I have not had a drop to drink. Not one. I'm a little caffeinated because I had nothing to do for three hours in the car except listen to, you know, the radio and drink coffee. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Do I sound drunk, Henry? I don't think so. I just think you're fired up. I'm fired up, but that's okay. Yeah. It's good to be fired up. Absolutely. It's my job to be fired up. What do I work for NPR? <laughs> now, the um, thing about um, music appropriation is, is a very interesting um, thing. Classical music was actually stolen from the indigenous tribe of the Neanderthal. No, I don't. So I'm going to be fired up. That's who I am. Damn it. And if I am drinking, I would always be honest with you. I have no problem telling people when I drink on the air. I go to um, the Grand Hotel and I drink the entire show. I'm not ashamed of it. Listen, I am a descendant of Dean Martin, and I possibly am related to Dino. I have no problem with drinking while I'm working. In fact, I encourage it. I do. I mean, the Rat Pack, they drink all the time. I would drink and smoke. I don't even smoke. I would just drink and smoke at the Grand just for the hell of it. If I could, if I could smoke at the Grand Hotel, I'd light a big fat stogie, pour myself a bourbon, 
at 3 o'clock and just let it roll, Henry. Let it roll. Sounds like a good show to me. Damn right it was. But I'm just saying, I would never hide the fact if I was drinking. That's why when that one day when I was slurring because I had dental work done, and people were like, oh, he's drunk. If I was drunk, <laughs> I would tell you. I would just be honest. I'm not going to hide it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went out drinking. I got hammered. I mean, I've done the, I've done the show drunk before. You know this. I've done it. I haven't hidden this. I mean, not drunk drunk because that would be an FCC violation. But, you know, after a couple cocktails at the Grand Hotel, we used to drink Bloody Marys in the morning. And now we bring we drink bourbon in the afternoon. So, and that's why when I went to see Dr. Mike Venaria, my buddy, the master of dental implants, and had to get a little Novocaine, you heard it, and it's okay because I used Novocaine, not bourbon, that day. Dr. Mike Venaria is a great guy, great friend of the show. Go see him today for your perfect smile. VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A. Coming up, Dr. Phil says the truth about, quote-unquote, gender-affirming care. We'll bring that to you. But listen, my friends at McCausen Lock Service, they are there for us every time we do our Travis Mannion Foundation Radiothon. And it's coming up next month in March. They'll step up once again. McCausen Lock Service for over 100 years has been the family business for all of your lock needs. And if you have a key fob or you've lost your key fob, it needs to be reprogrammed, repaired, replaced, transponder keys, remotes, they can do that for you while you wait. And they have all makes and models they can take care of, including all the fancy cars like BMWs and Mercedes. And in most cases, they charge up to 50% below what you'd pay at a dealer. So if you've lost a key fob or you just want to have a spare one, always good to have, go to McCausland Lock Service. Tom and Chrissy are great people. They're great friends of mine, and they will take great care of you. They're located right on Route 420 in Prospect Park, PA, and they are there to serve you. The family business that stands with our veterans and stands with Talk Radio 1210 WPHD and is there for all of your lock and key needs. Key fobs. Factory remotes, transponder keys, chip keys, and more. McCausland Lock Service. McCausland Lock Service. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. On Twitter at Rich Zioli. I'm not drinking. I am snorting sawdust, however, and that does have an effect on one's brain. Uh, glad you're here today. We have a lot to chat about in our final moments. Uh, we are done at 6 tonight because of basketball, but that's okay because i got to head over to this reception at CPAC. Anyway, we'll be live on Radio Row tomorrow and Friday. Brought to you by our friend, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile, VenariaDental.com, my dentist and my friend. Uh, the Biden administration is hell-bent on setting an alarming precedent by prosecuting Julian Assange. You know, I wish that President Trump, when he was president, would have pardoned Julian Assange. I think he should have. Uh, as Snowden, too, by the way. But unfortunately, the United States Department of Justice is hell-bent on getting this guy to prove a point. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has been imprisoned in London for nearly five years, pending extradition to the United States, so he can be prosecuted for violating the Espionage Act by publishing classified information. Since that amount of time behind bars is about the same as the four to six year prison term that Justice Department lawyers have said Assange would be likely to serve if convicted, you might think the Biden administration would be ready to reconsider the case, especially since it poses an alarming threat to freedom of the press. Instead, U.S. government lawyers are back in London for yet another hearing, which Assange's attorneys describe as a last-ditch attempt to block his extradition. 
Recognizing the First Amendment implications, this is from Reason.com, the Obama administration declined to prosecute Assange for obtaining and disclosing confidential State Department cables and military files leaked by former Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning in 2010. After all, leading news organizations in the United States and around the world had published stories based on the same documents. And those acts of journalism likewise could be construed as felonies once this precedent was established. I mean, there's an entire Supreme Court case around this called the Pentagon Papers. So could the routine practice of reporters who cover national security, which commonly involves divulging information that the government prefers to keep secret. Despite those concerns, the Trump administration decided that Assange should be locked up for doing things that the New York Times and others do on a regular basis. Now, I want to make a point here about this, and this is, I believe it was Bill Barr, if I'm not mistaken, who was the attorney general. And I told you, you know, Bill Barr was a swamp creature and never should have had that job and never should have been there. And I wish the president had intervened to stop the indictment against Assange, but he didn't. You know, despite the fact that the media kept saying he was going to use the Justice Department as his own personal cudgel, he never did. It's the Biden administration that does that. The Biden administration that uses the Justice Department to go after its enemies and punish its friends. There were people in the Justice Department who wanted to get Assange. I think Trump was naive to all the things that were going on in the Justice Department to undermine him. And they wanted to punish the people that helped Trump, Julian Assange being one of them with WikiLeaks and what came out in the 2016 election. All but one of 17 counts in Assange's latest latest federal indictment relate to obtaining or disclosing national defense information, which is punishable by up to 10 years in prison. Theoretically, Assange could face 160 years in prison for those counts alone, although the government's lawyers say it probably would be more like the amount of time he already served in the United Kingdom. Manning, who, unlike Assange, violated the terms of government employment, received a 35-year sentence but was released after seven years due to Barack Obama's commutation of the sentence. Some say that Assange is a journalist and that he should be immune from prosecution for these actions, said John Demers, then the head of the Justice Department's National Security Division, after the Assange indictment was announced in May of 2019. The department takes seriously the role of journalists in our democracy, and we thank you for it. It is not and has never been the department's policy to target them for reporting. There is no need to worry... Because Assange is no journalist. The line of argument, of course, misconstrues the freedom of the press guaranteed by the First Amendment, which applies to mass communication generally, not just to the speech of people whom the government designs to recognize as journalists. And you see, this is the point. In this day and age in particular, how do you define a journalist? What is the standard by which you use it's not like a doctor where you need to have a medical degree and a license. So how do you determine a journalist? There was a time years ago where, I don't know, some conservatives said we should license journalists. I said, that's a stupid idea because then the government can take away those licenses. And there are people who are on, who are on social media right now who are citizen journalists. I mean, James O'Keefe, the government doesn't recognize James O'Keefe as being a journalist. But the government doesn't have a right to recognize James O'Keefe as being a journalist. That's the point. I am not a journalist. I'm an, I, I'm an opinion maker and a flamethrower and also an incredibly handsome, talented individual. But I'm not a journalist. I don't pretend to be a journalist. I don't pretend to be. I have strong opinions and I share those opinions with you every single day, most days, most sometimes Fridays. 
But the assurance is similar to the reasoning that the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit recently applied in counterintuitively concluding that treating journalism as a crime is not obviously unconstitutional. In that case, it was a woman down in Texas who was a citizen journalist who was arrested in 2017 for violation of a Texas law because the government said that she was not a journalist. Like the Espionage Act that they're using with Assange, this purportedly criminalizes common reporting practices. In this case, obtaining information about a public suicide and a fatal car accident from a back channel source at the local police department. That was in Texas. When it comes to Julian Assange, though, and what we're dealing with now, the problem is, of course, defining in the age of corporate media what makes one a journalist. I mean, I don't particularly think that anyone who pretends to be a journalist at NBC, CBS, or ABC is a journalist. The one journalist they had, Catherine Herridge, they fired. I mean, she was the only one, in my opinion, of all the corporate mainstream big three networks who was an actual journalist, and they got rid of her. Do you consider any of those people on any of those three, the big three, ABC, CBS, NBC, do you consider any of them to be journalists? Do you consider anyone at MSNBC or CNN to be a journalist? And I'm sure anybody on the left would say nobody at Fox News is a journalist. That's the point. I don't know how you define it. All I know is that if you start cracking down on this because you say, well, we, the government, have decided you're not a real journalist, so therefore we'll go after you, Julian Assange, but not you who writes for the New York Times, that's a very scary place because all that's going to do, of course, is empower the corporate media and terrify individuals who are citizen journalists. Is Tucker Carlson a journalist? He thinks he is. He says he is. That's good enough for me. I mean, I it, listen, if a man can identify as a woman, in my opinion, a man can identify as a journalist. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need a degree. You don't need to have a license. You don't need to be recognized or employed by anybody. You don't have to work for a newspaper or a radio station or George Soros or anyone else. You can just be a journalist. Nobody has to pay you. You could have sponsors. You could do it on your own. You could just be. You could just exist. You could do it for fun. I don't even think you have to be a professional journalist, but some professional journalists have proposed a similar distinction, arguing that he does not deserve the First Amendment's protection because he is not a real journalist. But whatever you might think of Julian Assange's opinions, his tactics, or the care he exercised in publishing classified material, that distinction is not grounded in the Constitution and will not hold in practice. Because the Constitution is very, very clear on this point. It doesn't give the government the power to anoint somebody a journalist. And by the way, speaking of Tucker Carlson, he sat down with Julian Assange's wife for a long interview about the whole process and the whole situation. You know, Julian Assange's real crime, of course, was going after the Clintons and WikiLeaks, and that's really why they wanted to get him. I'm not surprised the Justice Department went under him. And, you know, to say it's the Trump Justice Department, that's the same Trump Justice Department that undermined Trump. I mean, it's the same Trump Justice Department that was working to destroy his presidency. It's the same Trump CIA that was working to undermine his presidency. It's the same Trump NSA that was working to undermine Trump's presidency. You have to be real careful. And sometimes I take... I don't like when my friends at Reason do that because they're not big fans of Trump sometimes and they 
make those little points as like a dig. But you have to remember that Justice Department was weaponized against him the entire four years he was president. I think he's learned a lot. I think the second term is going to be a whole lot different than the first. I think he's learned a lot of lessons now. But part of the reason why the Heritage Foundation, for example, is trying to go in there and restructure the executive branch with their vision 2025 is for exactly what I just said, because you have the ability to do what I'm telling you, which is to go in and undermine the very president who you theoretically, not theoretically, you work for. And we've seen that time and again. So Trump did not get involved in his Justice Department. And Bill Barr is a swamp creature who never should have been there. I told you that from day one. People called me and criticized me for that. Trump only hires the best people. Well, he didn't this time because Bill Barr is a disgrace. All right, listen, I got to run. Uh, we got basketball tonight. I got to head over to CPAC. We'll do the show live from Radio Row tomorrow and Friday, so tune in for that. Please don't miss it. And I want to thank my friends at Cherry Hill Volvo for their great support and great friendship. This is a great time to get to Cherry Hill Volvo now. They have a very special S60 courtesy car for you, available for less than $29,000, with less than 5,000 miles on it. Beautiful, luxurious, all the tech, all the safety, all of it. You'll love the experience at Cherry Hill Volvo. They're going through a renovation right now, but don't let that intimidate you. They have a lot of cars, a lot of beautiful cars in the inventory, and Judith and Yosef and the entire team will work to get you the absolute best deal they can to make sure that you are happy, and you will be happy at Cherry Hill Volvo. You absolutely will. So go there today. The Ride on Route 70 in Cherry Hill, the region's most accessible Volvo dealership, easy to get to, minutes over the bridge. Cherry Hill Volvo is where relationships matter, and they prove that every single day at Cherry Hill Volvo. All right, keep the conversation going on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Back tomorrow live from the Conservative Political Action Conference on Radio Row at CPAC. We're going to have a great show. Don't miss it. Thank you for listening. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.